Thank you very much, Simon. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I had a good night's sleep last night. I used all of the tips that you gave me, apart from the one about um, thanking baby Jesus. I didn't do that, but I, he was in the back of my head. I used all of your tips, a bit of the lavender, a bit of the om, uh, whatever the other ones were, and I got a good night's sleep, so thank you very much for that. That's paid off. Uh, what it does mean, though, is that I'll probably be a little bit too perky furious this morning. For that, I can only apologise. Uh, coming up in the first hour of the show, we'll be talking about anorexia and how it's affecting more people, even younger. Uh, shenanigans in the badminton yesterday. I didn't see this, but I heard about it. There are people pointing their fingers and alleging that maybe the teams weren't quite playing as well as they could have done to get an easy ride through to the finals. And we've been having a big argument this morning, me and the production team. I say team. I use that term very, very loosely. We're not really a team. Just some people that gather every morning. Uh, uh, about clutter and arguing about clutter. And it turns out that we're all very, very messy. Now, I thought it was generally the, the, the man in the relationship that was messy and the woman who was a little bit anal uh, and would tidy everything up. But all of the, the, the women here are the opposite. Who is the messy one in your relationship and does it lead to big arguments? I, I seriously think that my wife and I could split up over this. She's always tidying my stuff up. I know where everything is. I know where everything is in the house. Except when she tidies things up. 08459 455 555 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk We're here until 9 o'clock. It'll be good if you give me a call. I'm only here until Friday. So you've got a few more shows to give me a call. 08459 455 555. Oh, DeBarge, which one is it? Rhythm of the Night, fantastic. DeBarge, Rhythm of the Night. Uh, it's nine minutes past six on... Uh, is it the 1st of August? I think it is. The 1st of August. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, it's my wife's birthday tomorrow. I got some wicked presents. Well, I say wicked presents. I got uh, uh, some perfume. Okay. <laughs> I got I got more than that. I've got more than that. Bizarrely, she no, she won't be listening. She's bored of my job, so she won't be listening to this. Bizarrely, I've got a, a, I think it's called is it a honey spoon? It's like a wooden thing with the with the honey spoon because she's been after one for for ages and they're really hard to find. Uh, Fortnum and Mason, Fortnum and Mason. It was only six pounds. So I got that. Uh, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I don't know if you're interested, but I'll, I'll let you know. I feel that we're bonding over this. Uh, some perfume. Uh, tickets to go and see Jennifer Lopez because she likes a bit of J Lo. J Lo CD. Um, what else? Oh, a cake stand because it was on sale in, in Fortnum and Mason. But then they, it was on sale, seventy five percent off. Right. But then they didn't take the seventy five percent off. And I, because it was so posh, I didn't argue with them. It was. I mean, it was only twelve pounds reduced to three. It wasn't like it was a hundred pounds. But I, because it's such a posh shop, I didn't want to argue over nine pounds. So. Well. Thank you very much. I say these are from me. These are all from my children, of course. I've bought her absolutely nothing, but my two-and-a-half-year-old and my six-month-old have spoiled her rotten. Uh, although we made it, my boy made a birthday card for her yesterday. I was going, right, don't, don't, don't tell Mummy we've done this. This is a secret. OK, I won't. Mummy, I've got a secret. I just made a birthday card for you. Now, this is fascinating. The, the founder of the modern Olympics famously said, the most important thing is not winning, but taking part. So you wonder what he would have made of last night's badminton. Players from China, South Korea and Indonesia all seemed, and was using that word, seemed like they wanted to lose, repeatedly serving into the net and hitting the shuttlecock out of court. Uh, they'd already qualified for the next round, and there is speculation they wanted to lose to get an easier draw. At the end, the players were booed off the court. 
tonight has left me with a very nasty taste in the mouth. This afternoon I was disappointed because the British athletes, the British competitors weren't good enough. But you have to accept that in sport if your opponents are better. What I've seen tonight was not sport. It was a disgrace. Wow. That gentleman there is furious. Eight players have been charged with misconduct for not trying properly. It's unclear what disciplinary action they'll face, but uh, it left a bitter taste not only in that reporter, but in the mouths of these fans. We hit it over the net more often than that, don't we, when we yeah. play? Pathetic, really. You would have expected more from professionals at this level. Honestly, I've been to probably 500 badminton tournaments in my life, and that is the most disgraceful thing I've ever seen at a tournament. And I can't believe it happened at the Olympic Games for a shameful Olympics moment to one of the greatest because the American swimmer Michael Phelps has become the most decorated Olympian of all time. Last night he won a gold and a silver medal to take his overall tally to 19. He says it was an emotional night. Before I got up on the on the podium tonight uh, I was like sorry boys I'm not going to be singing this with you guys. So I was like there are too many emotions that are going on. I was like I'm not even going to be able to get a word out and uh I tried to hold myself together as much as I could, but but my eyes were getting watery, and, and uh, it, it was emotional. It shows that a lot of, like, you know, that hard work does pay off. Just blame it on the chlorine in the pool, that's what I do. Overall, China is still top of the medals tail. Team GB are currently in 21st place. No gold for Great Britain yet, but earlier the equestrian team, including Zara Phillips, won silver in the eventing competition. Uh, and Britain's women's footballers beat Brazil 1-0 to set up a quarter-final against Canada. Midfielder Kim Little says the support from the Wembley crowd was amazing. I think the best experience of all our lives, um, just walking out at the start to hear all these people cheering for us it was just incredible. I can't actually put it into words. And to get the victory for them and to hear them at the end is just, you know, unbelievable. Today, there are 20 golds up for grabs. The cyclist Bradley Wiggins will be hoping to grab one of them after his success in the Tour de France. Wiggins revealed he'd had his training kit stolen from the changing rooms at the team hotel. We're assuming and hoping he's got some fresh lycra for today. We'll also be looking out for Helen Glover and Heather Stanning. They're the favourites to take the top spot in the women's rowing pairs. Could Team GB finally bag their first gold medal of the Games? It would be exciting, wouldn't it? Do you think they were overreacting slightly to... uh, um, to the, the badminton play. I don't really know. You know, it, it, would you... We have to be careful because nothing has been proven about these uh, these badminton players. Maybe they were having a, an off day. It could happen. We can't always be at the peak of our performance, as anyone listening to this show yesterday will, will testify. But w- were the people overreacting slightly there? Did you see it? Are you a fan of the badminton? Slow tennis, I like to call it. Uh, 08459 although I'd never say it to a professional or, or um, Olympic athlete, of course. That's strictly uh, between you and me. 08459 555. Did you see uh, the badminton yesterday? And, and were you thinking, poor show, chaps, come on now, that's not the way it's done. And if they were caught uh, or, or found out that they had done that deliberately, what should the punishment be? Slap wrists or booted out of the Olympics? 08459 455555. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 6.15 on Wednesday, August the 1st. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Four women's doubles pairs in the Olympic badminton competition are facing disciplinary action for allegedly trying to lose to secure an easier draw in the next round. Spectators booed last night as the Chinese top seeds, two pairs from South Korea and one pair from Indonesia, regularly served into the net or hit wide. Plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June, but are updating their plans following a public uh, exhibition. Uh, 
In sport, Wickham lost 3-0 to QPR at Adams Park in last night's pre-season friendly. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes with Phil Garner. And coming up, research claims that more and more children are experiencing anorexia at a younger age. Our reporter has been speaking to an eating disorder uh, support group in Milton Keynes. Kate Robbins uh, filling in for Nick Coffer this week. I think he's back next week, but she's a fantastic listen, uh, and I thoroughly recommend it. Now, people are suffering with anorexia at... Oh, no, hang on a second. I do apologize. We've got the weather coming up. Look, I'm jumping the gun there. I'm jumping the gun. We'll, we'll wait for the weather, and then we'll do the anorexia story. While we're waiting for that, should we have a quick look at the front pages uh, and see what's going on in the, the, the world of the newspapers? The Guardian. Uh, there's been some fantastic photographs have come out of the Olympics of um, men flipping in midair and people swimming. The greatest Olympian. Uh, Donald McRae sees Michael Phelps take gold and silver to become the most decorated medalist in the history of the Games. Now, he's won. I was listening to Five Live, as I often do. Uh, excellent Olympic coverage. And he's won 19, gold me- uh, 19 medals. Not 19 gold. <laughs> not 19 gold, for goodness sake. He's not that good. He's won 19 medals in total. And to reference this, the commentator went, he's won no, 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 19. <laughs> now... Uh, is, <laughs> is any, does anybody get that reference? I'm old enough to know exactly what he's referring to. He's referring to a song that was big, I think, in, what, 1984, 85? Paul Hardcastle and 19. It seems an odd way to celebrate and acknowledge the greatest Olympian of all time by referencing a Paul Hardcastle anti-Vietnam song. You don't get that played very often, do you, on the radio? It's the same, it's a good song. And where you don't get Paul Hardcastle, <clears throat> to go off on a Paul Hardcastle tangent, on those sort of 80s reunion tours. You don't get that, do you? You don't get Tapao, followed by, um, uh, I can't think of any other, Kajagoogoo, followed by Paul Hardcastle. Could we try and track down Paul Hardcastle and get him on the show? The team, straight to it. Look at that, fantastic, excellent. We'll, we'll have him on the show. Paul Hardcastle, can we get him on the show by nine o'clock, please? There's another fantastic picture. Look at this. The front page of the Times, uh, now serving. I'm, oh, my goodness, look at that. Oh, I don't like it. They've done this. That's, that's, that's too clever. They've got, like, a, a fold open and keep. There's a picture of, um, I'm assuming it's a young Chinese lad playing the table tennis. Or it looks like he's about to nose the ball on the table tennis. Uh, The Daily Telegraph have printed uh, six months behind everyone else. Keep calm and carry on. We we are only one medal short of what we should have at this stage, British official insists, as fans await gold. And there's a a picture of the, um, the, the, the posh horse riding team. I don't, I don't get, I don't get the, the horse riding uh, events. It's, it's very skillful. Um, but I was, I was watching a bit of it yesterday, and I didn't quite get it. You just make the horse go over the, 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 the jumps and things. But the, the course was laid out fantastic. It was all like British monuments. They were jumping over a tiny stone hedge. <laughs> it was all very spinal tap. Uh, and let's do The Independent, and we'll do the rest of them a little bit later on. Uh, the Independent, Minister's Plot End to Civil Service Neutrality. Ministers could be given the power to dismiss their most senior civil servants and bring in US-style political appointees to drive through policy. Um, and there's a picture of Michael Phelps uh, with his gold medal, which is very exciting. We'll do the rest of the papers later on. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the story that I, I, I attempted to bring you earlier on. Uh, people are suffering with anorexia at a younger age than ever before in the UK. That's according to one of the country's leading experts in the field, Brian Lask. Earlier this year, Lask's team also published research showing a genetic predisposition to the disease. 
Well, our reporter Brendan Murphy went to Milton Keynes to speak to Emma Bacon, the founder of the eating disorders support group Balanced MK. I think previous statistics have suggested between the ages of 15 and 25 uh, is the most common time for the onset of anorexia. But I think there has definitely been a trend that we've seen in the media and through other specialists I know of people coming forward slightly younger than that. Um, But often what can happen is that people can struggle with issues in the sort of early years and then it comes about in waves so they maybe they have a slight issue and then they overcome it they settle down things balance out they don't even realize they had an eating disorder and if it's not dealt with or understood then it can come back in later years anorexia is something that you've um, had to deal with yourself isn't it i struggled with anorexia specifically in my early 20s but i think i had vulnerabilities to feeling insecure about my body image when i was much younger i was about four or five years old when I first remember thinking that I'd really like to be just like a small pale china doll really delicate and fragile and that that would result in me being taken care of and looked after by my parents and other people and then when I was about uh, nine or ten years of age I became much more concerned about body image and about moral behavior and I felt quite isolated from the rest of my peer group at that age and I started to feel a lot more subconscious about how I looked and what I wore. In fact, I don't think I've worn a pair of shorts since I was about 10 years old. I know that your organisation deals with people above 16 who have problems with anorexia, but you said also that you deal with, you do some outreach programmes to some schools as well, is that right? Yes, Balance of K has offered uh, lessons within schools in Milton Keynes. One of our aims and objectives is to increase awareness about eating disorders um, in general. Obviously, We want to prevent the onset of an eating disorder and in order to do that we need to outreach to the younger generation. There's a lot of pressure about how people should look, um, the expectations um, placed upon them and it's so important that we try and engage people positively about their bodies and their self-esteem because low self-esteem is apparent in every single person I've ever met with an eating disorder and obviously self-esteem is one of the fundamental things that you develop in your childhood. You have children yourself. How does that make you feel hearing that the, that there might be some kind of genetic predisposition to, to having anorexia? It makes me a little bit nervous, to be honest. I mean, in some ways, it's reassuring for me because it helps me to understand and appreciate why I have felt the way that I felt in the past. Not to say that it takes away any responsibility that I have in, in what's happened, but it helps me just understand things better and therefore forgive myself for some of the things that I might might have done. You know, there's a history of eating disorders in my family and then I've struggled with an eating disorder and I have a young son and a young daughter and I can see some of the personality traits within them. And so obviously that makes me nervous, but I have to... I realise that what I need to do is to give them a a sort of a balanced view of everything and to increase their self-esteem and self-confidence. And if I can do that, then I'm giving them the best chance possible to be well and healthy. Mm. With the pressure from the media nowadays, I I sometimes feel concerned that that's going to make the next generation even more susceptible to eating disorders. But on a positive note, I'm hopeful that the next generation will also be more savvy about the media and they'll better understand that what they see in the magazines and the television isn't necessarily, necessarily reality. So hopefully that will contrast any extra pressures that they have and they'll be a more stable generation. That's Emma Bacon, the founder of the Milton Keynes-based Eating Disorders uh, Support Group, Balanced MK. And we'll be talking about that more throughout the show. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call about that. 
or any of the other things we're talking about. I particularly want to get your calls on clutter. Who's the messy one in your relationship? That's good. I like that. The noisettes. That girl. We'll have some of that. Thank you very much. Oh dear, the Daily Mirror and the, the Sun are fighting over what can be the most ridiculous uh, front page. Um, I would say the Mirror wins it. Uh, the Sun has got uh, going for Wiggold, Bradley Wiggins, Gold. What they've done there is they've made up a word. Uh, cut out and wear your 24-carat Bradley sideburns and back Team GB's bid to win first gold today. This is one of this is the biggest-selling newspaper in the country. It's got some cut out and keep gold sideburns on the front. But the Daily Mirror, I think, pips it. Here we go. Here we go. Help Bradley triumph by wearing his lucky sideburns with pride as Britain goes for a hat-trick of gold today. And there, they've not just got the sideburns, they've got the whole uh, top, the crest of Bradley Wiggins' head uh, that you can, uh, you can wear. Is that really going to help him? Imagine you were cycling down the street and there were thousands of people lining the street with, like, really bad replicas of your hair or your sideburns stuck to their face. That would freak me out. That's like a bad nightmare. No Daily Express today. That's a disappointment. Um, and the Daily Mail. Uh, the moment Zara's gold dream ended, and uh, there's uh, Zara Phillips um, knocking down... Well, not she's not knocking down the, the, the top of uh, a, a jump. A horses. You see, look, they're post boxes, old-fashioned post boxes. You see what they've done there? It's, it's, it's a fantastic... Um, uh, the, what do you call it? A course? I guess you'd call it a course. Can you tell I'm not too hot on my equestrian uh, sports? On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. I, I don't want your calls this morning or your texts. 81333, start your text 3CR on, on clutter. And who is the tidy one in the relationship? I always thought that, that uh, a little bit of stereotyping about to come out of my mouth here. I always thought that the men were the messy ones and that the women uh, were the tidy ones because uh, at home I've got, and I say messy, there is a logic and a sense to my mess. I know where everything is. We're lucky enough to have a spare room that we, we um, laughingly call the office and it's called an office because it has a computer in there. Uh, and I, it, it is generally, there are piles of paper everywhere and folders and things all over the floor. And that's good because I know where everything is. I'm the only one that goes in there and, and you know, does work, in inverted commas. Uh, and I know where everything is. I know where all the, the, my bank statements are. I know where the gas bill is. I know where the, the uh, invoice for this job. I know where everything is. And then I'll go in there and it'll all be tidy and the desk will have been polished and the computer will be clean and everything will, will be in a, a folder somewhere. And I can't find anything. And this happens throughout the whole house. You know, I'll put something down, put my keys down, I'll put my wallet down, and then when I need it, like at four o'clock in the morning when I'm leaving to come here, I can't find it. And I have to go to my wife, where, 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 is, where are my keys? I don't know. You do know, because it's probably you that moved them. Oh yeah, they'll, they'll be uh, in the fruit bowl. Why would you put them in the fruit bowl? I'd left them on the table in the living room. But then talking to the team here, who are predominantly female, I think, we're getting the test results back uh, this afternoon, so I can let you know. They're all saying that they're kind of the messy ones, and it's their, their boyfriends and husbands that are the ones that are a little bit anal about tidiness. So can you give me a call, dear listener, and let me know which one in your relationship is, is the tidy one and which one is the messy one? 08459 455 555. And are you like me? 
Is there a, a logic and a sense to your messiness? The, the logic only works in your head. You're the only person that can fathom out that, uh, yeah, that bank statement from June of last year is in that pile, third on the right, uh, just under, just by the printer, that one, yes. D- does it make sense in your head how that works? 08459 Um And you can text, of course, 81333, start your text 3CR. Uh, and email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Let's see if we can find out by nine o'clock if it's men or women. I don't want to do like, you know, one of those horrible, oh, well, men are worse than women. I don't want any of that. I just want to get a scientific study, yeah, uh, as to who are messier, the men or the women. 08459 455555. We were talking about the Bradley Wiggins sideburns as well and the wig. The, the, the Daily Mirror's got a wig. The Sun has got Bradley Wiggins sideburns. Does anybody... Is anybody actually going to cut those out and wear them today? If you're, if you're thinking, well, do you know what? That sounds like, that sounds like a right old laugh. I'm going to do that. I'm going, to, I'm going to the cycling, actually, later on, or I'm going to be watching it in front of the TV. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut those out and I'm going to wear those later on. If you're thinking that, could you give me a call and let me know? Or send me a little text, 81333. Start your text 3CR. You say, yeah, do you know what? Yes, I'm going to wear them in. I think it's going to be a right laugh sitting at home with a, a, a can of skull um, at wearing those cut-out sideburns. I think that is getting into the Olympic spirit. Let me know. I might pop round. I might pop round and join you. You never know. 08459 uh, 555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Now, this badminton story I find fascinating. Badminton's world governing body has changed, has charged, sorry, eight female badminton Olympic players with not using one's best efforts to win a match. That basically sums up any sport I've ever played in. Four pairs of players, two from South Korea, one from China and one from Indonesia, could now be disciplined. Um, oh, where are we going with this? Uh, well, yes, sorry. One of the fans, uh, uh, we can go to our Olympic reporter, sorry, Jane Prendergast is here. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. Sorry, Jane, I was a little bit all over the shop there with where I was going. This is fascinating. What more do we know about this? Well, the controversy here centred, it was the women's doubles. They were playing last night. Opposing players attempted to throw their preliminary round matches. It appears to secure a more favourable draw in the knockout round. So I assume that they were already through and were still playing preliminary matches. But we're hoping that... um, they, they'd spotted that if they, they did this, they would get an easier ride to the next rounds. And, of course, crowds at the Wembley Arena were jeering the players uh, from China, South Korea and Indonesia, who repeatedly apparently served into the net and hit the shuttlecock out of court. So it must have been quite farcical to watch. Now, the World Badminton Federations charged them, as you said, with not using their best efforts and conducting themselves in a manner that is clearly abusive or detrimental to the sport. We don't know yet what their punishment's going to be, um, but of course, certainly not great for the spectators who have turned up to watch and are expecting to see athletes performing and striving to do their best. Now, Jen, we, the people are investigating this, so we, 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 you know, it's, it's all speculation and stuff. <laughs> but if you were going to do something like that, you'd think you'd be a little bit more skillful than just batting it into the net. You know, you'd think you'd c- kind of try a little bit harder not to do so well, wouldn't you? No, when I use the word farcical, I mean, really, it, it, hitting it into the net and hitting it out of the court, it does seem absolutely ridiculous. Mm. I suppose maybe not running as quickly as you could to get a point would be slightly more subtle. Yep. But um, how people in the Olympic Games might think that they could get away with something like this um, does seem slightly ridiculous. It'd be interesting to see uh, how they get disciplined and what happens to that. But last night was a, a great achievement for um, the American swimmer Michael Phelps. He's become the most successful. Successful Olympian in history. He's got 19 medals, is that right? 
That's right. It's completely wow. the opposite story here. Of course, Phelps, he's a, a phenomenal athlete. He took silver in the 200 metres butterfly. He then won a gold as part of the 4 by 200 metres freestyle team last night, the freestyle relay team. Um, as you said, 19 Olympic medals. That's one more than the Soviet gymnast Larisa Latinia, who won 18 in the 50s and 60s. And uh, everyone in the aquatic centre stood to applaud him at the end of the relay event last night, showing how popular he is as a swimmer and uh, as an Olympian. So out of that number, he's got 15 gold, two silver and two bronze. His first Olympic Games was in Sydney, and we know that he is going to retire at the end of these games. Well, thank, thank goodness for that. Give someone else a chance, please, Michael. No gold for Britain, uh, but we did pick up another medal yesterday. Yes, of course, the equestrian team, Zara Phillips, Mary King, William Fox Pitt, Tina Cook and Nicola Wilson held off the challenge of New Zealand to take the silver. Germany got the gold and, uh, of course, this meant Princess Anne got to present her daughter, Zara Phillips, with her silver medal and, of course, the rest of the team as well. Um, there were no individual medals for Mary King and Tina Cook. I should also say as well that um, the women's footballers yesterday, when we're talking about results... A lot of talk about how impressive they have been. A crowd of 70,000 watched them last night at Wembley. They were already through to the quarterfinals, but they beat Brazil last night 1-0. Um, Steph Houghton scored the winner, and uh, a lot of talk about women's football today. Uh, and what can you highlight for us today? What, what should we be looking out for? <laughs> Well, I think you've already been talking. From what I can gather about Bradley Wiggins, um, of course, in action today in the cycling time trial. I haven't got a paper, but I want my sideburns. <laughs> Are you going to wear them, Jane? Oh, definitely. Fantastic. I think get a lager and uh, get some sideburns on you. A fantastic addition to my two ways. Um, um, but both these time trials, the cycling time trials, it's cyclist against what? They start and finish at Hampton Court Palace. The women go um, over 18 miles. The men... 27.3 miles and of course Wiggins has had a phenomenal year Britain's Emma Pooley will take part in the uh, women's she's in great shape she'll be in the hunt for a medal as well I should also say hotly tipped for a gold this morning um, 20 past 10-ish the women's rowing pair Helen Glover and Heather Stanning um, they are um, they set a, a record a new Olympic record to qualify for the final which will take place this morning so if you're around at that time maybe put your TV on. Jane, thank you very much, Jane Prendergast, uh, our Olympics reporter. I do enjoy our chats with Jane first thing in the morning. And now I have an image of her wearing those ridiculous Bradley Wiggins sideburns from um, The Sun. Now, Joe is in Letchworth. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Ian. Joe, How are you? I'm very well. Now, if I remember correctly, we spoke yesterday and I asked you to watch a sport that perhaps you weren't that familiar with. Did you do your homework? Well, I certainly did. Yes. And there was, there was two sports um, that really came across yesterday. One of them was handball. Oh, now, I saw handball on the listing last night, and I, I, my wife was flicking through. She wanted to watch something. She wouldn't let me watch the weightlifting. For some, I don't know why. And handball <laughs> came up, and I said, I've got no idea what that is. Can we watch it? It's brilliant, isn't it? Oh. You reckon? Oh. <laughs> oh, come on, man. It's football, but throwing a football at it's someone. football, but throwing <laughs> it. I know, it's genius. You weren't so keen on the handball then, Joe. Not not my not, not my kind of thing. But there, there was another one here, and there was yeah. um, I haven't watched it yet, and it's the BMXing. Now, I thought we've already got racing on bikes. <laughs> now when, I saw that in the listings as well. BMXing, it's in the BMXing. listings. Now, Ian, you're you're roughly the same age as me. Now, yeah. when we were kids, right. right? Do you remember when in the early eighties when the BMX first came across from America, and it was it was wonderful. Of it was, course, it, it had the mag wheels, and it was yeah. it was fantastic. 
and now we, we're, we're racing with BMXs, doing exactly the same with bikes, but on a BMX instead. I, I'm, I'm assuming they're, like, popping wheelies and doing stunts and stuff. <laughs> Is that the case? Riding That's, no-handed? It looks like that they, they race around the course and they have a few little jumps Brilliant. as well. Um, but that's about it. And synchronised swimming, that's the other one. I don't get it. It, it looks very oh, pretty. Yeah. It's beautiful, but it's, it's swimming the same as a person next to you. <laughs> Joe, let's be honest. It looks amazing. It's an incredible amount of skill. It's not a sport, is it? It's, it's not what we'd call competitive sports. You know, what, what me and you would call competitive sports. Joe, Joe Letchworth, I'm here for the rest of the week. You are my official slightly odd sports correspondent. I want you to watch the BMXing. No grifter racing, unfortunately, taking part, uh, taking part which is uh, a, a real shame. Excellent work there. I set him homework, and he did the homework. Thank you, Joe. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Wednesday the 1st of August. These are the headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Four women's double pairs in the Olympic badminton competition are facing disciplinary action for allegedly trying to lose to secure an easier draw in the next round. Spectators booed last night as the Chinese top seeds, two pairs from South Korea and one pair from Indonesia, regularly served into the net or hit wide. Plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June, but are updating their plans following a public exhibition. In sport, Wickham lost 3-0 to QPR at Adams Park in last night's pre-season friendly. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. A brighter day, some sunny spells, but a few showers are also expected. Top temperature, 22 degrees Celsius. Now, if you live in Milton Keynes, you'll be familiar with the point, the red pyramid building that sits near the shopping centre. Next, we'll hear from our reporter to find out more about delays in knocking the point down. We're all singing the Kickstart uh, theme tune. We say singing, you know, we're, we're making a noise and something is coming out in our heads. It sounds like the Kickstart theme tune after the BMXing. It's amazing that BMX and what, what, what else? What, what, you know, next will be Rubik's Cube, Olympic standard Rubik's Cube. Now, plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June, but are updating the plans to take into account how the public feel. Our Milton Keynes reporter, Jessica Cooper, is outside the point with details on this. Good morning, Jessica. Morning, Ian. What's been suggested should happen to the point? Well, I'm currently um, standing just in front of what has become the iconic red triangle in the centre of Milton Keynes. It was, of course, the first multiplex cinema in the country when it opened back in 1985. Unfortunately, now it's practically empty inside and it's also pretty run down on the outside. The plan is to demolish the point and replace it with a mini shopping centre. There'd be high-quality shops and restaurants to better meet the needs of the local people. Is everything all right there, Jessica? It sounds incredibly busy. Well, just as I started talking to you, uh, the team from the local council have also started sweeping the road. So... (laughs) They're busy at work here. Okay, well, we can just about hear you. How has the timetable for this project changed? Well, um, a public exhibition was held with the new designs inside the point in May. And I'm just going to pause there whilst the sweeper comes back yes. around. You, you, um, you take your time, don't worry. The thing is. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jessica, Sony, Sony Gold. Sony Gold. Do you know? <laughs> they literally just came with.
within an inch of the car where wow. I am. So uh, they are, are they, are they moving on? Should we play a song or are they going? No, 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 they've okay. gone now. So Excellent. I think I can come back to where we were talking about with the public exhibition. Yes. Basically, the new designs um, were put on display inside the point in May and a planning applica- application was due to be submitted in June, but it wasn't. And I've been told the owners, Hammersons, are reviewing the feedback from the public and they're looking now to have a second public exhibition next month. In a statement, they say... Since the public exhibition in May, we've continued to liaise with local people about proposals to regenerate the point, including a constructive meeting with Mark Lancaster, who's one of the local MPs. And they're now in the process of considering all the feedback received during the consultation, and they're going to be back in September with some updated plans. You're listening to BBC Three Counties Radio, <laughs> the home of street sweeping. This is what it... Uh, how do... Uh, uh, we, we can just about make you out. Uh, how do <laughs> local people feel about this? Well... This is a building which seems to divide opinion. Whenever I talk to anybody about it, they either love it or hate it. There's very few people who are in the middle. To look at, it is really run down. The painting's chipping. It looks quite grimy in places, as if it hasn't been cleaned in a while, and there's this kind of green moss which is starting to grow. Um, And it does now look quite out of place, sandwiched between the modern buildings um, in the heart of the shopping centre here. But it is a landmark in this area. It's a piece of history in Milton Keynes. And when we spoke to shoppers when the plans went on show in May, this is what they told us about what they'd like to see happen to the point. It's kind of like a landmark now. It's been here for like over 20-odd years. I don't see why they can't convert it. It does appear to have had its day. They don't seem to do anything much with it these days, but it would be sad. It served its purpose but it's a landmark, so keep it. Why would you want to rip down something that was part of the landscape before they put everything else there? There's nothing like it anywhere else, and it is part of Milton Keynes. If you ask anyone in Milton Keynes, you've got the concrete cows, the roundabouts, and the point. So overall, people generally agree that they want this area to be regenerated, but many people have said they don't want to lose the history of the point. And it is very quiet here at the moment, but usually this area is really busy. It's Lots not that of quiet, Jessica, to be honest. <laughs> it's quiet in terms of people. Right. And uh, usually in the day, though, this this area is buzzing really there's lots of people walking around going to the shopping center but what seems to be unusual is that they seem to ignore the point nobody was going inside it when there were shops opened there recently last year so in future there could be more shops and restaurants here but it isn't the only building project being discussed in milton Keynes at the moment there are also plans for a huge primark as part of a development to seclo gate which is just a stone's throw away from here and that would see an expense expansion to the existing shopping center so there could be lots Lots of change in this area in future. Jess, thank you very much. I have no idea what's going on there in terms of noise and being, it sounds like you're being sucked into space. Jess, thank you very much. Excellent stuff. We managed to get the gist of that. Um, That's Jessica Cooper, our reporter outside the point. And later on, we'll be speaking to the Milton Keynes North MP, Mark Lancaster, who's met with the owners of the point to discuss its future. Now, we've got lots of people um, listening to us from Milton Keynes who um, perhaps weren't listening a week ago. You're welcome. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, What do you think should be done to the point? Are you a fan of it? Surely if it's run down and it looks that bad, should they just knock it down and build something else or should someone spend a few quid and make it look all nice and put some new shops in there and, and do something creative with it 08459 455 555 08459 455 555 well, that was good wasn't it uh, that was the Jim Dolan project from Watford with their track Real Life 
you can hear more oh yeah, mm, thanks uh, you can hear more music made in the three counties every friday night uh, from seven with gareth lloyd we're asking who is the, the, the messiest in your relationship because i'm generally I, I would suspect it was mainly men although the straw poll that we've done here uh, just before the show would indicate that perhaps i'm wrong ben in buckingham has texted in eight one three double three starting his text of course i wouldn't say i'm messy this is good. This is total bloke logic. I wouldn't say I'm messy. I just leave things in certain places, so I remember where I put things. But I get shouted at, which causes arguments, as my fiancé is very tidy. Well, I, I, the shouting at isn't causing the argument. The shouting at is the argument. That's, that's, that's the argument, and that's how that begins. 08459 455 555. Can you give me a call? I want to speak to you. I want someone to be, to be brave enough and put their hands up and say, Yes, Ian, do you know what? I am messy, and I thrive in it. Not like those, I'm a big fan of those um, hoarding programmes. You've seen the hoarding programmes. Because it, it, it is a glimpse of what my life would be like if I had never got married and w- was still, you know, a 39-year-old single man. My life would be like that. Just stacks of, of newspapers and bags filled with stuff. Once, about 10 years ago, the old la- I lived in the flat and the old lady in the flat downstairs, she knocked on the door and said, Ian, I can't, I can't get in, I've locked my, f- my flat, but there's a window. Could you climb in through the window and, and let me in? I said, of course. And she was a lovely old lady and I wish I'd never gone in because it was the house of someone... Um, no, I probably can't say it on the radio. It was she. She obviously had issues because there were just there were thousands of dollies, like not dolls. There were dollies, thousands of them everywhere, and also every room was full of plastic bags, just filled with stuff. And I didn't. I didn't want to. I, I did want to have a look, but I did. And I know. Yeah, it did. It made me feel like that. I felt a little bit. Oh God. Oh dear, poor lady. But the, but that's where I could go. She was in her seventies, and it, you know, if things go wrong at home. That's where I could totally end up, easily. So 08459 455 555. Are you messy? Or is your partner messy? Uh, and, and do you have arguments about it? Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio with your breakfast show. In the next hour, more on the uh, shenanigans in the badminton, talking more about anorexia, and I really want to hear your calls about clutter. All of that and more after the news and sport with Simon Oxley. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Simon. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's four minutes past seven. It's the first of August. That means, like, summer's pretty much over, because September's next, and then it's Christmas. That's how it works. I know, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. And even at the beginning of August, I can look at it and go, oh, it's going to be the best dinner of the year, loads of presents, and just, like, watching a load of rubbish on TV. I'm sorted. There'll be no boozing in my house. No boozing in my house, for goodness sakes. Uh, this morning, coming up, what have we got? Lots of stuff. We're talking about the shenanigans uh, at the Olympics, where it has been alleged that some of the uh, teams were not playing to their highest standard so they get an easier route to the final. If someone could explain exactly how the routing to the final works, could you give me a call? Because I, I think I've got my head around it, but I haven't got my head around it well enough to explain it on the radio or to anyone. 08459 455. Five double five. Also, give me your views on that. If you saw it last night, what did you make on it? Uh, we'll be talking more as well about uh, anorexia. Um, talking about that Chinese swimmer who has, has has shocked everyone. I feel sorry for this this poor girl. She's it's been proved that she's not taken any drugs. So let her just get on with it and enjoy her moment. 
She's 16 and she swam really fast. Was, was, what's the problem? We'll be talking more about that. And also, uh, your clutter. I want to find out who is the, the messiest in your house. 08459 455 555. Is it you? Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Is it something you could possibly split up about? Because this is where the main thrust of the arguments in my house are. Are when my wife moves something without telling me, and I know exactly where everything is, and she goes and moves it. DVDs! Oh! Leave my DVDs! And my video games. Leave them by the the TV, because that's I put them there so I know where they are. I think I need a little breather because I'm getting a little bit too excited. I do apologise. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I very uh, nearly had an argument with my neighbour yesterday. I was very tired yesterday. If you heard the show, I would give it. Um, I would give it. A, a, I would give it a four out of ten. It was. It was some great content. I wasn't firing on all cylinders. Uh, that was because I had an hour and a half sleep before the show, due to people, due to things that you don't need to worry about. Anyway, so I got home from uh, the show yesterday and had to go off and do something else. Uh, and as I pulled up, my neighbour, who is ruining our street because he's building a new house basically and so the whole you can't park in the street because the whole street is filled up with his trucks and his skip and his diggers and all of this stuff and there's so much noise and when you when you get up at four o'clock it's nice to have a little doze in the afternoon can't do that in my house cannot doze in the afternoon because of all the work going on and i've been very polite to him although in the past couple of weeks cause i'm getting more and more annoyed with the work that he does i don't want to talk to him so when i go out of my house <laughs> i do this i'm nearly 40 when i go out of my house and I see this neighbour in the street, I will pretend to be on the phone so I don't have to have a conversation. I'll put the phone up to my ear, and instead of... But I'll actually have the conversation. I'll go, uh-huh. Well, I'm sort of leaving now, but I'll be a bit late. I do that. That's, that's proper bonkers. But yesterday, I, I, I was too tired. I didn't put the phone to my ear as, as a tactic. And he went, all right, Ian, how's it going? So like, yes, it's all right. I'm a bit tired. A bit tired. A bit tired? All you do is swan around all day. Oh, ho, ho. hey, whoa, whoa there, cowboy. I've been up since four. I've had an hour and a half sleep. I've got two kids. One of them has been really sick with chicken pox. Now the other one's really sick with chicken. Don't tell me I swan around all day. And I went in. I went, oh, yeah, you, you reckon. And I went in and I was fuming. And I very nearly, very nearly went back out just to swear at him. I, re- I nearly did. And I had to have my wife say, Ian... Really, what is that going to achieve? What is that going to achieve? If he says it again, though, I've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use uh, indoor language outside. Uh, maybe you've got a tip for how I can deal with this neighbour and it's just it's building constantly. Please stop building. Let me park my car at least somewhere near my house. If you've got any tips on how I can deal with um, irritating neighbours, 08459-455-555. Now, there have been extraordinary developments in one of the Olympic events uh, this morning. It's emerged that eight badminton players have been charged with trying to lose their games. Four pairs of players, two from South Korea, one from China and one from Indonesia, will now be disciplined um, by the Badminton World Federation, the BWF. In one of yesterday's games between China and South Korea, the longest rally lasted just four shot- shots. The players were then booed and jeered by the crowd. One of the fans watching the China versus South Korea match was Caroline. She told the BBC what she saw. To the untrained eye, and mine is highly untrained, they were literally just hitting it into the net. Both both teams 
And when they served, they served straight into the net. It just wasn't going over at all. And it became obvious in the arena because everyone was booing. It's, it's caused controversy in the world of what I like to call slow tennis. Let's go to Gavin Lee. Good morning, Gavin. Morning, Ian. I know, controversial. I'm being slightly flippant. I do, I do like a bit of badminton. What has happened here? Because this is incredible. It is. I mean, I, mean, I can imagine they probably thought somebody had you know, ran onto the court as some kind of comedy joke. It was like watching the, the top-seeded players of the world play like beginners. I mean, you know, you described the, the best rally being four shots. Mm. The China versus South Korea game, the first one, you know, er- almost every shot was going to, into the net on serve. And so if, if it was returned, if it managed to get over the net, then return serve went out or, or long. Now, what seems to have happened is, and, and the motive potentially for why they lost is... Or why they wanted to is because they had already qualified all sides and losing for all of them meant meant a much easier draw in the next round for South Korea China either side to have won they would have faced the Chinese world championship team in the quarterfinals and what's happened this year is for the Olympics for the first time they've got a, a, a knockout stages for for the for the badminton the group stages rather than the straight knockout that they usually do so there is a school of thought which suggests maybe the system is flawed that if you win you take on the much stronger team but i mean that match the umpire came on the south korea match uh, warned them the fans started to boo when the south koreans eventually won the game they didn't even celebrate they were still being booed off by the fans then the next two teams came on the south koreans and the indonesian teams they did exactly the same thing more boos followed the umpire got the black card out the disqualification card but the coaches of the two sides said well the previous two teams didn't Mm. get disqualified so that was rescinded and then the match finally finished this is just incredible. They, they, they face disciplinary action now. Could they be disqualified? What, what could possibly happen to them? It really isn't clear. I mean, the, the badminton... I'm guessing this is unprecedented, isn't well, it? Absolutely. Yeah. It, they, they, some of the members of the, the Federation have suggested that a disciplinary uh, and uh, an outright disqualification could set an example. It could stop it happening again in the sport. That they know it's not the Corinthian spirit, it's not the, the rules and the, the sportsmanship. It is absolutely not the way to play. Having said that, you can see the moral dilemma that um, I, I'm, so, I'm sure some of them were facing do we do they play the the best teams or do they cruise through to the finals with an easier team uh, they have said the Chinese team in their defense that they were just saving some energy <laughs> however <laughs> news just brilliant. In, in the last 20 minutes the Chinese Olympic delegation has launched a separate investigation into those players who've now been charged by the badminton world federation the technical charge is allegedly not using their best efforts to win so essentially trying to to lose the match we we shall see it, and I think there will be cause as well today in in the in the the meeting for mm. the uh, disciplinary for for an overhaul of the the group system as well. It sounds like it's the group system that's that's, that's flawed. I'm guessing there's not a rule written down in the world of badminton says that that says you you don't you know you 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 have to play as well as you can. I'm guessing that's not written down. So they've probably not broken a rule, have they? Well, they've they've been charged. I guess the, the charge that they've found most relevant is not using their best efforts to right. win. So they've found something which is in the uh, the sporting rulebook anyway, right, okay. with, the, with the Olympic spirit rulebook. So there's something to to throw at them. It's just whether they think that the punishment fits what they did. And I guess if you and I were sat in there and we'd paid seventy five pounds yeah. for a ticket, and you're thinking you know, this is one of the shortest matches in Olympic history, you're knowing in the in the swimming across the the the, the, the road from you essentially in the Olympic Park, mm. Michael Phelps is breaking the all time record as being the most successful. And you probably sat there thinking, what is going on? And you know, I'd join in. I'd be booing and tell him to get off the court. Uh, elsewhere, very quickly, uh, uh, Gavin, the, the best chance for an Olympic gold for Team GB today, isn't it? 
It is. You know, he's had six days to rest, but uh, Ale Wigo, Bradley Wiggins, fresh from being the first ever Brit to win the Tour de France, uh, is in the time trial. His re- real contenders, I think, in, in gold medal um, are slightly uh, injury-ridden. One of them has... Uh, yes. Fabio Cancellara has a broken wrist. Yeah, so I didn't mean that. Very, very quick mention. How good were the women's football yesterday? How sharp were they beating the gold medal favourites, Brazil, 1-0? Yep. I think, you know, now they've won three out of three for the women's team, facing the, ca- the Canadians, I think they've got to be medal hope, possibly more so than the men's football team. Fantastic. Gavin, listen, we'll be speaking to you more uh, as this week progresses. Thank you very much there. Um, I-, I will be watching a bit of Wiggins a bit, a bit later on. The thing is, if he loses, right, or doesn't do very well, and he gets criticism, which he would do if he didn't, do, if he didn't get at least a silver, he would get criticism for it. You should just go, yeah, but I like won the Tour de France. And that's, that's the end of the argument, isn't it? That's the end of the conversation. That was our reporter Gavin Lee there talking uh, uh, about the Olympics. Um, let me know what you think about the, um, the badminton. Did you see the badminton? Was it that obvious? It sounds like it was pretty obvious. If the referee was going on and saying, hey, come on, pull your finger out, people were booing them. If a black card was withdrawn... It would seem that, that, that pretty obvious that it was it was happening. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Did you see it? Even if you didn't see it, what do you think of it? it, it does it go against the Olympic spirit? Is it cheating really to make sure that your next round's a little bit easier? They've already got through. They've already qualified. Beds, hearts, and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning at 7.15 on the 1st of August on BBC Three Counties Radio. Four women's double pairs in the Olympic badminton competition are facing disciplinary action for allegedly trying to lose to secure an easier draw in the next round. Spectators booed last night as the Chinese top seeds, two pairs from South Korea and one pair from Indonesia, regularly served into the net or hit wide. Plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June, but are updating their plans following a public exhibition. In sport, Wickham lost 3-0 to QPR at Adams Park in last night's pre-season friendly. We'll have a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes. Weather coming up soon with Phil Garner. And also coming up on the show, this morning we're talking about anorexia. It's after research that the age of people suffering from anorexia is getting younger. Hear more after this. Going off on a very slight tangent, if you missed Jonathan Vernon-Smith's show yesterday, do listen to it on iPlayer. The first hour is fantastic. He's talking about um, abuse on Twitter and the internet. It, it, the, I, I didn't hear all of it. I heard some of it. The last call of the first hour yesterday was incredible. It was incredible. I was in my car and I could not believe what I was hearing. Go and, go and listen to it on iPlayer. Honestly, it's amazing. Okay, this is a a fascinating story. The UK's leading expert in anorexia has told the BBC's Newsnight programme that people suffering from the disease are younger than ever. Brian Lask explained that new research also showed there was a genetic link between people who develop the illness. We'll speak now to uh, Deanne Jade from the National Centre for Eating Disorders. Good morning, Deanne. Good morning, Ian. How difficult is it to spot anorexia in young children? And what kind of ages are we talking about? Well... Your first question is really difficult mm. because children don't, very young children don't behave like adolescent children. They don't complain about being fat. They don't say they want to go on a diet. They don't even know they want to go on a diet. They, they just suddenly want to stop eating and they, they usually complain to parents about tummy aches or feeling sick. So the parent will go to the doctor and the doctor will 
you know, do all sorts of tests and, and think, well, maybe there's something physically wrong and then just decide, well, you know, maybe the child is malingering and bad. So, so I think in a recent test, 90% of doctors fail to diagnose anorexia mm. in a very young child. And how young are these kids that we're talking about? Well, they can go down as young as five, which makes it really, really hard to spot the illness because, mm. you know, you'd think a five-year-old child wouldn't really care whether they're, they're going to be, they're, they're frightened of being overweight. With that, it's that which is really at the center of anorexia nervosa. It's not just feeling bad, mm. it's actually being scared of gaining weight. But children as young as five wow. are very weight conscious, and that's what surprises us. Why are they so weight conscious? Is it popular culture? How, do, how does this develop in someone so young? Well, you know, Ian, even though, even though the results suggest, oh, you know, there's lots of young children getting, getting the disorder. This has really gone back 20 years, 30 years, as long as I've been working with eating disorders. And, that, and there weren't, weren't so many pressures on young children not to, you know, to be slim and to, to look very sexy, you know, the kind of thing we're accusing parents of doing to their kids nowadays. So there's always been young children who get anorexia. There's always been very young children. We don't really know why they become quite so sensitive. Mm. I've spoken to my colleagues. No one's really given a very good answer, you know. At five years old, maybe they're just reading Snow White, but they have, seem to be very tuned in to whether it's okay to be fat and okay to be thin. So, for example, a child of five is not very keen to, to play with a very fat child. Now, why, why are they aware at this age? We don't know. But what do you make of this research that um, says there's a genetic link? Yes, I've known about this for a long time. Right. I'm really, really enthusiastic about the work that Brian Ask is doing. Uh, we... we we know about genes because if one twin gets anorexia, it's very, very likely that if the other twin is identical, they'll also get anorexia. Mm. So we've known about it. We don't exactly know what the genes are, but it doesn't mean that you will get anorexia. Mm. As Brian said on, on TV last night, we, many of us might have the gene that will sensitize us to getting anorexia, but... It doesn't mean we'll get it. You know, things have to come together, maybe like particular stresses or very low self-confidence or maybe some horrible thing has happened to, to that person. So genes are only expressed when lots of things come together at the same time. Dianne, we're running out of time. Very quickly, uh, who should people contact if they need help or they think someone in their family might need some help? Well, well, there's obviously BEAT, um, the Eating Disorders Association, and, and our organisation, will National Centre for Eating Disorders, will provide any help that a parent needs if they're worried about their child who, who doesn't seem to want to be eating and who's not thriving. Deanne, thank you very much. That's Deanne Jade there from the National Centre for Eating Disorders. Uh, for more information and support, you can uh, go to all those organisations she mentioned, of course, and you can look at the BBC Newsnight's uh, webpage for details as well on who to contact. Back to the Olympics. Uh, a Chinese swimmer who won a gold at the London Olympics has rejected suggestions that she's taken banned drugs. Yi Xuan, who's 16, shaved more than a second off the world record time in the women's 400-metre individual medley. It was interesting because the, even the presenter uh, on the BBC was going, well, that looks a bit odd. She, she was kind of scratching her head and saying, hmm. Uh, a Buckinghamshire board member of the UK Anti-Doping says there's an element of sour grapes about the criticisms directed at Yi Xuan. Professor John Brewer is also the director of sport at the University of Bedfordshire and says the teenage swimmer should be given the benefit of the doubt. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Uh, her, her speed has been called disturbing. Lots of people have been scratching their heads. Accusations of using performance-enhancing drugs. Why is it so unbelievable that she's achieved this? 
I think, first and foremost, you've got to look at the drug testing procedures that are in place. They are extremely rigorous. Mm. The, the in-competition testing period started over two weeks ago. Athletes are tested all the time um, by the anti-doping agencies around the world, and, of course, they're tested during the Games. She will have been tested because she's a medal winner, and her samples are going to be stored for eight years. Wow. Um, so, you know, even if she's trying to take, she, she would have been taking something that currently isn't on the ban list, um, there is every chance that she will be caught. So my, my own view, and I know it's the view shared by many uh, in, in anti-doping, is that she would be very, very foolish to have taken anything illegal because she will be caught. And we have very, very rigorous processes in place. So I think, I think it's, you know, we've got to give her the benefit of the doubt. We very much hope she hasn't been taking anything. But if there is a chance she has, then I think even after they hang the medal around her neck, uh, there is still a chance that she will, or very strong chance that she will be caught. I'm surprised they keep it for eight years. Is that so that, you know, in the future when the tests are even better, that they can go back and have another look? Yes, or if there is something that is discovered that is deemed to be illegal, then they can look at it and say, hang on a minute, um, we might have to have a second look at some of these samples. So, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's one of the most um, forensically analysed uh, samples that the, that the athletes give once they've, once they've won a medal. So um, I think the other thing is, of course, that they are exceptional athletes. They're not mm. like you or I. Um, everybody who wins a gold medal at the Olympics is right at the top end of the physical and, and mental spectrum, if you like. Um, they have to choose their parents carefully, is, is something that I often <laughs> say, because they, they're genetically uh, very different to the rest of us. And um, all of them are talented. And, and if you look, not just at this swimmer, but if you, look, you look at people like Michael Phelps, who's just won his 19th medal, um, Usain Bolt, who will be seen performing in, in just a few days' time, they are all exceptional individuals. And um, they come along every so often in sport. That's why they are Olympic champions. And you know, bear in mind as well that China has a huge population pool to choose from, mm. over a billion people, probably 20, 25 times more than we have in this country. So we shouldn't be surprised that exceptional individuals come along and perform well at an Olympics, because that's what an Olympic Games is all about. You mentioned, Professor, choosing their parents. Mm. There was, there was a, a report that I glimpsed at in the paper. I've not read it in great detail. I'm, I'm suspecting there's a whiff of nonsense about it. Uh, 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 that in China, they are genetically modifying the athletes. Is that absolute nonsense? Is that possible? Well, we know, working in anti-doping, that, that uh, gene doping or, or artificial genetic modification is a threat. It's something that I, I went to a conference on um, at the start of the, the intestine period and there were some real experts in gene doping there, far more uh, expert in that area than I am, who said whilst it is a threat, their belief is that at, at this stage, fortunately, it's not uh, prevalent in sport because it's far too difficult to do and nobody really knows what the outcome will be. So I don't think there's, there's anything artificial. I suppose one could um, some suggest or speculate that there may be more... Um, if you like more selective processes of, of, of doing it where you get individuals together who bring individuals together who have been at the highest level in sport and hope that they um they produce an offspring that uh, that would be an elite athlete whether that's occurring or not I, I really don't know um i suspect not i just think that a talent id process and i've just been listening to um to a discussion about one of our rowers uh, who's competing later on today who's in chance of winning a medal she she came through our sporting giants mm. program where six or seven years ago we, there was a sort of a, a process of almost advertising for individuals who were good at sport, who met certain height criteria, who could then be looked at physiologically to see whether they were gifted enough to take part in, in different activities. We've done that in this country and we've now got people in the sport that I'm working with at the moment, handball, who came through that programme and we've got rowers who came through it as well. So I think a lot of sports do that sort of thing. Um, but... Uh, 
they do it legally and they do it properly. Um, and, I, and I think we've just got to hope that this swimmer came through a very legal process of, of talent ID, but also used all the right science, medicine and training to, to get to where she has done. Uh, John, listen, thank you very much for that. That's Professor uh, John Brewer, who is uh, Director of Sport at the University of Bedfordshire, uh, talking about the Chinese uh, swimmer Yi Xuan, who is 16 and is, uh, has, has shocked and surprised everybody. And she's passed, she's passed all the drugs tests. For the moment, so you know, it's it's pretty outrageous. I think one of the American um, trainers, coaches, was was making unfair accusations. If she's passed, she's passed, hasn't she? We just have to accept that, and that's fantastic. Then w- th- what we've seen is some amazing swimming. Thank you, John. Now, uh, John there mentioned the handball, and uh, this is my new fight. I was I only watched literally. 50 seconds of it last night. My, my wife was flicking through the, the, the sports, trying to find something. We ended up with the swimming. I wanted the handball or the weightlifting. Not allowed to watch weightlifting with my two-and-a-half-year-old boy. And I don't know why. What's, what's, what's wrong with that? I had to fight for archery, and I thought archery is more violent than weightlifting. Anyway, Judy has texted him. 81333, starting her text, 3CR. Ian, I like the handball, too. It's like football, but better, as you don't get all the fouling. It is! I, I saw it listed. What is that? We're going to watch some of that. And it's football, but they throw it at each other. Fantastic. Seen any odd sports? 08459 455555. Call 08459 455555. 08459 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. That's the phone number. You can call any time uh, about anything, any of the stories that we're talking about, and we've got a few good local ones coming up, uh, or anything that you think we should be talking about. We're also asking this morning about clutter. After I've been... Um, the, the, the rowing is perhaps too strong a word, but um, clashing heads with my wife about clutter and about me leaving things in certain places, yes, possibly on a table or on the floor, but knowing where everything is, and then she is constantly moving everything who is the untidy one in your house is it the man or the woman because i always thought it was the man that we, there was some kind of genetic predisposition that we were messy that the women were the tidy ones but i've spoken to three women this morning uh as part of the production team and uh they're the messy ones and messy with a small m you know this isn't you know this isn't mr trebus we're not kind of got loads of sacks of stuff everywhere this is messy with a very small m oh eight four five nine Four double five five double five is the telephone number. If you can give me a call on that. Last week, it was announced that Hatfield Town Centre was going to get a makeover. It was chosen along with fifteen other towns to receive hundred one hundred thousand pounds. One hundred thousand pounds. That's right. Yes, from the government as part of the Mary Porter's pilot. Seven days on, market traders say the trees in Market Square are putting off both customers and new traders coming to the town. They say that what's falling off the trees is causing people to cough, and despite numerous requests, they say nothing has been done to rectify the problem. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, has been speaking to the traders. The trees, I don't know the name of the trees, but they're a polluting collecting tree that they put along on the side of the motorways and dual carriageways, and I'm pretty sure it's illegal to work underneath them because they've got fine uh, feathers like asbestos, and when the wind blows... They just go through the market and, and people are coughing and spluttering and uh, it keeps people away from the town, to be honest with you. So that's the situation right now, but in the winter, the leaves are falling off the, the, trees, the trees and again, people are saying that that's affecting trade. The, the, the trees are so big that the piles of leaves could be um, two foot high in some places and the council don't come around and clear them up. It's either there's two, they either can't afford to do it or there's just too many leaves and, and you get piles this high 
what's that, two foot? Mm. Like all around the bottoms of the trees where we have to brush them up ourselves. And again, then that turns to slush in the winter and it's just a, it's just a nightmare, really. Basically, the trees are too big. If they was managed, you'd probably get away with it. But so you, you can see on top of that, see on top of that stall, that was that thick all the way across the floor like, for the last two weeks. They've, they've, we've had to clear it up ourselves. And then they've come round and shoveled it in the back of a dust cart or whatever. So it's very interesting what you're saying. Only last week we were talking about the fact that Hatfield was getting this big makeover, £100,000. Have you spoken to the council about these trees? If so, what have they said to you? The market superintendent reckons that he keeps speaking to the, the, the uh, town management. They say they're going to deal with them, but we never get a straight answer, basically. One one person blames one person, then they come back and blame him. And So you're honestly saying that this is definitely putting people off from coming to this market and you're losing money? As well. It's put traders off as well from coming here. The lady on the pet stall works with, you know, the, the Zars masks they have on, you know, the pollution, she works with one of them on for the last five weeks because of the dust and everything, because she coughs and splutters, she's got asthma. She's coughing and spluttering all day long and... Uh, People were like asking her now, saying, why is that mask? And then she tells them about the trees and then they're noticing it. So it's over the last couple of years, it ain't been so bad, but where the trees are getting bigger and bigger, more and more people are noticing it and, you know, people are talking about it now. I've now moved along the market ever so slightly. Just how bad are the trees as far as you're concerned? You know, these trees were trouble. They all make trouble with all this stuff. With the, I think it's not good for health as well. You know, so it's making yourself cough. It's making yeah, your customers cough. Customer, You're yeah. losing money from this every single yeah, year. Yeah, every customer is not calm to down. That's why you've got problem. They're not cleaning properly. Right, two things from that report. If you've been, I've not been to Hatfield Market for a long, long time. If you've been there, uh, have you spotted this? Uh, has it made you cough? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Have the trees and their debris put you off from going back to the market? Is 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 that right? And also, the gentleman there says they haven't had a straight answer from the council. We'll get one later on. Yeah, we will do. We're talking to Councillor Mandy Perkins later on to uh, shed some light on the situation, so we can ask her uh, exactly what's going on. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Plans to uh, knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June to build a mini shopping centre, but they're updating the plans following a public exhibition. Mark Lancaster is uh, MP for Milton Keynes North. North. He's met with the owners. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Mark, what did you discuss when you met with the owners? Well, it's important really to state that as a member of Parliament, I don't actually play any part in the um, planning process. Uh, That's very much down to the local authority. But obviously, like any good local MP, I try and keep myself abreast of what's being uh, planned in my constituency. So um, when approached, I'm always happy to meet these people just to find out what they have got planned. And um, I think there has been some sort of concern that the point is such an iconic building in Milton Keynes that whilst there is an acceptance that uh, it is in need of sort of updating and restoration and perhaps development, we need to be quite sensitive about exactly how we do that. So I think the uh, the owners are going to go away again and see if they can't find a scheme which still manages to um, keep these sort of iconic points in some form as the landmark that it's very much become. So they initially wanted to, to knock it down and build on there, and now you're saying that, the, that they're considering, due to the public pressure, actually keeping the point itself and, and doing something within that. Well, I think there's, there's all sorts of options which they will be looking at, one of which is to keep that sort of iconic structure, but perhaps put it on top of a new building. Um, I want, if I can, though, uh, just to sort of move Sorry? one step away from... Uh, I, I want, if I can, just to move one yes. step away from that, because I've, one of the concerns I have about Central Milton Keynes is that we have a number of different sites there um, which are owned by private developers. For example, there's also the... Hello? 
Hello, yes. Uh, sorry, uh, there, there's also the uh, the Primark um, application, which is you know, sort of a few hundred metres further up. Yeah. And what worries me at the moment is we seem to be having a slight, so a slightly bitty approach to the redevelopment of Central Northern Kings. And what I want to sort of try and get across is that I think we need a grander strategy for people just to take a step back and rather than having a look at all of these individual applications, what is it we want with Central Northern Kings? What's the vision for the future? So rather than having these individual applications coming forward the whole time, which don't always necessarily sit comfortably with each other, I think as a community we should be asking ourselves how do we want the future of Milton Keynes to look? Because it's absolutely vital that we continue uh, to attract new business, that we see the economic development of the town, that all these sort of small individual um, bitty sort of applications may not be the best way forward. But is there any way to stop the um, the, the, the bitty applications? You, you can't insist that there is one uh, sort of big universal plan for Milton Keynes, can you? Now, you can't insist uh, with the private owners of some of these plots of land, but I think my argument is simply that if we do have um, an overreaching strategy, actually everybody will benefit because then Central Milton Keynes becomes this iconic place that people want to do, uh, that, that people want to come to. It becomes a place uh, that competes with, with many of our neighbours, and that's for everybody's advantage. So I'm not trying to stop them. I'm just trying to say, can't we all get together and have a thing strategically rather than tactically about how we want the centre of uh, the centre of Milton Keynes to develop over in the next 20 or 30 years. Oh Mark, good luck with that because you know this is why lots of town centres get ruined because one business wants to do this then someone else wants to move there and you know I don't think people do get together and have a chat. I hope you, you can pull something off because that would, would be great. Do you think Milton Keynes needs more shops, Mark? Well, it's not a case of having necessarily more shops. I think it's finding the right balance of the shops that we do have, the right balance of people being able to, people being able to come and to park so that people are happy to come into the city centre. Uh, sometimes people tell me that they avoid coming in because it is so difficult to park on certain days. And I think this is really why we do need a grand strategic plan to make sure that we get the right balance between the types of shops that we have there uh, and also parking and other factors to make us be a destination that people really want to come to, which will continue to help with the economic development of the town. Mark, finally, taking off your uh, MP hat for a moment, as, a, as a, um, a human being who has an opinion, what would, you, <laughs> what would you like to see happen to the point? I think we need to recognise that it has been um, very much uh, an iconic building from the start in Milton Keynes. Mm. I do recognise that it does need to be redeveloped. It's the one part of central Milton Keynes that uh, needs a bit of a facelift, shall we say. But if we can somehow keep that iconic structure whilst at the same time making it um, you know, a much more vibrant place that people will go to rather than walk around, as is often the case at the moment, that has to be a good thing. Mark, thank you very much. Mark Lancaster there, uh, MP for Milton Keynes North. What do you think? Uh, about the plans for the point. Uh, are you a fan of it? Do you think it's an eyesore? Should we, get, should we get rid of it? Should we put it on top of the new building? That's an interesting one. 08459 455 555. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. 7.45, Wednesday the 1st of August. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Four women's doubles pairs in the Olympic badminton competition are facing disciplinary action for allegedly trying to lose to secure an easier draw in the next round. Spectators boo last night as the Chinese top seeds, two pairs from South Korea and one pair from Indonesia regularly served into the net or hit wide. Plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June but are updating their plans following a public exhibition.
In sport, Wickham lost 3-0 to QPR at Adams Park in last night's pre-season friendly. And here's the weather for beds, hearts and bucks. A brighter day with some sunny spells, but a few showers are also expected. Top temperature, 22 degrees Celsius. And coming up, as part of the Olympic travel plans, Hertfordshire Showground became a park and ride for thousands of spectators to use on their way into London. We've sent Justin Dealey there as we hear that now it lies almost empty. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now there's to be a change in the way that social workers are regulated. Up until now, social workers in England have come under the umbrella of the government's General Social Care Council. From today, they'll be regulated by the independent regulator, the Health and Care Professions Council. This means social workers will have the same national standards as occupational therapists and psychologists. Derek Green is from Ray Wire Associates, a Milton Keynes-based company who trains social workers. He told us what he hopes the changes will achieve. The main three priorities I would see are, number one, is continuous professional development, as I said, meaningful CPD, that is based on an individual plan for that social worker's development over time. The second area needs to be a clear and robust uh, disciplinary procedure that is linked to standards expected, both in uh, practice and in training. And I think, finally, a very clear and very open uh, registration procedure so that people can check whether or not a social worker is properly uh, licensed to practice. As someone who works in the industry, does this change that's going to come into effect hold any concerns for you? One of the things that has happened with healthcare professionals is that they've now introduced inspections through the CQC, the Care Quality Council. If this registration body does not include an inspection element and doesn't link itself to the CQC, which it may do eventually, then effectively it's one step behind where all other health professionals are. They have had registration for a long time. They've had CPD for a long time. They've now moved to a level of uh, very fine inspection in terms of the practice of the individuals working in the health service. Derek Green there from Ray Wyatt Associates, a Milton B- uh, Keynes-based company who trains social workers. We've got Mark Seal on the line, who's the chief executive of the HCPC. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. What will these changes mean? Well, I think uh, your previous speaker raised some very important issues, and I can absolutely reassure him and all your listeners that we will deliver on those four areas. Um, We as a regulator require professionals to undertake what's called continuing professional development, and it's absolutely meaningful to continue professional development. Uh, That will be in place from effective from today. We also run what we call a fitness to practice process, so if the members of the public have got concerns that the social worker is not coming up to appropriate standard, we can intervene, potentially take them off the register and lastly we've got a website uh, which you can check literally from this morning to check that see to make sure that somebody is regulated by the hpc it's very easy to use very straightforward and lastly we have the regulator the relationship with the organization called the cqc who looks at the facilities we have a memorandum of understanding we work very closely with that organization so there are going to be changes but the key thing is going to be beneficial to the public Uh, and people will notice these benefits will they I think in terms of, as a regulator, we're sort of fairly back from the public, but over over time we are going to absolutely deliver good public protection by improving the standards of the professions we regulate. That includes, as you said, groups like paramedics, but it will also include the the social workers in England. How will you know if what you're doing nationally is working locally with, with each authority? 
Well, we go out of our way to work with organisations like employers. We have special meetings throughout the country on an, uh, throughout the country throughout the year. So we talk to the people that employ, for example, social workers. We meet members of the public. Uh, we meet social workers. We think it's vital to get that feedback because if you're not delivering as a regulator, you're not a good regulator. So we'll know pretty quickly if we're not coming up with the right answers, the right systems. Social workers are, are quite often in the press. They get a bad rap because we only really hear about them when, when something bad happens. Is this going to help their image at all, do you think? Well, I've been meeting social workers, both individuals who are working with members of the public, but also in the universities, and the social workers I meet are incredibly dedicated professionals working in potentially very difficult environments. And I think the combination of a good regulator like the HPC, the initiatives that's been taking place, the new uh, professional body, are all going to gradually improve the reputation, improve the uh, understanding of the public of what social workers do. So I think we are going to get an improved environment. Mark Seal, thank you very much. Chief Executive of the HCPC. We've got Ophelia in Luton who's calling. Good morning, Ophelia. Hi there. You are a social worker. I am. What, what's your take on all of these changes? I just feel that it's a lot of no disrespect to um, this man from the age, whatever they want to call themselves these days. It's a holy of rubbish. I've received my documents telling me that I have to re-register. Right. First of all, um, the GSCC council knew they were going out and still took a full year's um, subscription from all social workers. So I've paid in February and now I have to pay again. This new company is charging more than, um, whereas we pay £30, okay, each year. Now we're having to pay £76. And I don't see anything that's going to change for social workers. This idea that, um, you know, you're going to see things rapidly improve for social workers. The only thing the GSCC council did was prosecute social workers or or discipline them Mm. in respect of um, misconduct. And you see it published, there's different publications we have that we read. There was nothing about our development. There was nothing challenging employers about our caseload, which is a constant problem, okay? And there was nothing about the protection of social workers. All they do is just a body just taking money. And I, you know what, because I need to practice as a social worker, my local authority who I work for has already sent me an email yesterday saying that if I don't register, then I can't practice, which means no salary. What's going to change? Nothing is going to change. And that's what's disappointing. You talk to any social worker and all you will hear is that nobody talks about the good work that we do Okay, especially when you work in children's and families, it's always about the bad work, and nothing's going to change. The government's just changed the name, nothing's going to change. There's a different organisation taking more money for doing twat. Well, Ophelia, I apologise there for the slightly uh, fruity language at the end. I do apologise. She was obviously very passionate about uh, she feels, but if anyone was offended by that, then you, of course, have uh, our sincere apologies. Ophelia, thank you very much for your call. Good call again. Just watch the indoor language, please. You've got to be very careful. Got young ears listening at this time in the morning. Again, sorry uh, if anybody was offended by that, but I think you'll understand it's a very emotive topic that we're talking about here. A week ago, we were expecting thousands of spectators to start using the Olympic Park and Ride from the Hertfordshire Showground. But our presenter, uh, Roberto Peroni, drove past there yesterday, and apart from a few uh, coaches, it it was virtually empty. 
So we've got our reporter on the case. We've sent Justin Dealey down to investigate, and he's been speaking to Alan Hardy, who lives next door to the ground. So, Alan, you live next door to the Hart Show ground, and beforehand you had major concerns about traffic up and down the A5. So how's it been since last Friday? Well, exactly. I mean, we were worried that there were going to be up to 3,000 cars slammed up against our fence, you know, worries over security, noise, access. Since Friday, it's been a big nothing, just a handful of cars there, as you've seen probably. Mm. And who knows how many of those cars belong to the stewards and security people that are basically walking around talking to each other at the moment because they haven't got much work to do. There are a few coaches there and uh, we have seen one or two driving up and down the road empty sort of brings a new meaning to the phrase the phrase uh, driving on empty (laughs) and so i don't know so a lot of money's been paid their contracts have been signed oda presumably got a sack full of money to waste but just nothing going on there at all it it, it's a you know it's weird disgraceful i don't know what the word is but on a par with empty uh, empty seats in stadiums, I suppose. It is very, very bizarre, because I actually drove into the showground a moment ago. Hopefully, the site manager will talk to us. We'll keep our fingers crossed on that. Right. But, but looking across the field, uh, the field's certainly up to, to your property here, just completely empty. Completely empty. Embarrassing? Yeah. Is that too strong? It is embarrassing, because they, they were talking about bringing tra- uh, traffic right up to our fence. We managed to push it back a bit. I don't know if you can see the signs there. But there's just nothing there. It's just one or two cars, handful of cars right in the middle of the site, isn't it? Um, did they know that beforehand or not? Is this a surprise to them or not? You know, you're, you're going to ask them the questions. Are they going to give you the answers? We hope so. <laughs> right. And, uh, well, I mean, it's just really on a par with what's happened, you know, in, in January where people wouldn't explain to us what was going to happen. They didn't tell us about their plans until the last moment. And now I don't know what their story is going to be. I mean, it's just we just totally always kept in the dark. And why do you think it hasn't worked? Because thousands of people are going to the yeah. games. We know that much. Is it a case of people, do you think, having the convenience of their car, driving as near as possible, getting a train? Why do you think this hasn't worked here? Uh, well, we were saying it hasn't worked. Um, looking across the field, you think it, it hasn't. Why do you think it hasn't worked? I suppose the thing is you, you park your car here, take a coach into London. From here, you, you're still way, way from the venue it's probably just too far people think you know why do i want to go and drive my car park my car uh, pay to then be driven by coach on a journey of two hours to london there are probably much easier ways to do it take a train or something or get nearer as you say uh, and let's get this absolutely straight up and down the a5 just lastly on this we know it is a very busy road since last Friday, you haven't noticed an increase of traffic whatsoever? We haven't noticed anything at all. And, and probably you can see signs all around this area, you know, park and ride. And uh, on the M1 as well? Yeah, yeah. Expect I, delays, the signs yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, nothing. If anything, it seems to have been easier than, uh, than ever. Perhaps people have sort of kept away from the area because of that. So it, was that their plan to set up a park and ride to stop vehicles coming here? I don't mm, think so. Conspiracy, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Could well be that. But uh, as I say, the ODA have to answer questions there. They've got the money. Probably they've got so much money they can just throw it away. And uh, uh, and um, McDonald's, you know, uh, who uh, handled the actual uh, operation for them. And uh, obviously the site manager must be happy. I mean, he's got a nice contract. And... Uh, <laughs> It's not going to harm his grass at all, is it, for the heart yeah. show? He's doing all right. You're being very cynical. Hopefully we'll get some answers. Thanks so much for your time. Well, Many we'll thanks. S- we'll see later on if Justin did get any answers. If you've driven past that or if you've used it. Surprised? Shocked? Park and ride schemes. I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever used a park and ride scheme. I like to get 
to places. I like to e- either get the train to the place or drive to the place myself. I never really use park and ride. I'm always, I always... I wonder if they ever really took off. I remember sort of in the late 80s, they were going to be the thing that was going to save uh, cities and towns, and they never, they never really did. If you've used this one, or if you've considered using it, or now you know that it's empty, maybe you're more likely to use it. You thought it was going to be absolutely packed, and you're more likely to use it. Oh, wait, four, five, nine. Four double five, five double five. We're talking, um, uh, oh, here we go. Jill is talking about traffic. My husband's job involves him driving in London and the home counties, and he says the traffic is much less than usual. I think people have listened about the warnings about driving in London and have stayed away. And also, a lot of the Olympic family, a phrase I hate, people involved with the Olympics, uh, have decided to use public transport. So quite often the Olympic lanes are being turned off. We're talking about who's, who's uh, uh, messy in your house. Cynthia in High Wycombe says, My son was tidy and very helpful to me. My daughters are like you. They leave things everywhere. Well, maybe I've got this completely the wrong way around then. Maybe it is the girls who are the messy ones and the blokes that are the tidy ones. And I'm the exception that proves the rule. 08459 455 555. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, lots coming up in the last hour of the show. Uh, more about the Hatfield Market and the trees. More on the badminton shenanigans that I just find fascinating. We'll be talking more about anorexia. All of that after the latest news and sport with Simon Oxley. Thank you very much, Simon. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Suddenly it's three minutes past eight on the 1st of August. Where on earth does it go? Uh, coming up in the next hour, Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in and tell us what's happening on his show. I hope it's half as good as yesterday's. Or even more than half. I hope it's good. That's what I'm trying to say. Yesterday's first hour was amazing. If you missed it, go to the iPlayer and listen to it. If you haven't got much time, go to the iPlayer and listen to the last call of the first hour. We're talking about internet bullying and stuff. like in- Incredible. The thing is, I know what this guy's talking about, but the fact that he, he phoned up and admitted to it... Anyway... Jonathan will pop in at about 20 past 8 or so to uh, let us know what's happening a bit before then. Uh, coming up in this hour, more on the Olympic badminton. Uh, we'll be talking more about uh, anorexia. And also, I do want your phone calls. We're trying to find out who is the messiest in your home. Is it the men or is it the women? I've been having arguments with my wife, and it turns out I'm not the only person. Uh, about me putting stuff down somewhere and knowing exactly where it is. And her moving it, or as she calls it, tidying up. Why? Just, just please, L- p- please leave my pile of papers and books on the floor there. I know, uh, I know those DVDs are on that table, and I know exactly which order they're in. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can, of course, text this morning about anything that we're talking about, uh, including Hatfield Market, which we'll be discussing uh, a little bit later on. Eight one three. Double three, start your text, 3CR, or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Call 08459 we can speak now to Olympic silver medalist and badminton ambassador from Milton Keynes, Gail Ems. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. You were part of the commentary team last night. 
what did you make of what you saw? Well, basically, we weren't showing the matches that were the, the um, disgrace matches uh, on TV. We were actually focusing on another match, but the booze were so loud, we were just distracted by what was actually going on. And when we looked over, we saw... Oh, I, I still can't believe it. The world number one, someone sees a Chinese pair, you and uh, you and Wang, who'd never even lost before last year, trying to serve out in the net, just couldn't, you know, just didn't, just didn't want to... They wanted to lose. But not only that, their, their opponents were trying to lose as well. So <laughs> yeah. it was just incredible scenes. Like, I think my two and a half year olds would have won on that court. It was just, it was just disgraceful. But it was all because earlier in the day, there was a shock upset where the other Chinese pair lost. Mm. Uh, they came runners up in the group at the end instead of winning. So that just... That meant no pics, so I'm walking and talking. That's all right, girl, don't <laughs> worry. Um, so I should be fit for this, shouldn't I? I, I was going um, to say, you're, you, you're a former Olympic champion. You're a little bit out of breath <laughs> now. <It's... laughs> I know. But then, um, so the Chinese pair, the other Chinese pair, the number two seed, went in the one half of the group. And in order to be in the other half of the group, uh, other half of the draw, uh, they, the, the Chinese, the, the world number ones, had to lose. Or they had to be runners up in their group. So to avoid the two Chinese pairs, so they avoided each other. So, of course, the other Koreans didn't want to face the Chinese pair either. So they wanted to lose, so go in the other half of the, uh, half of the draw. So, uh, so this, was, this was going on, and the tournament referee didn't really was going, come on, play. But wait, why should they? They were, they were like, well, why should we? We want to go in the other half. Well, they're both pairs. They've gone through the knockout stages and qualified. But they were just trying to choose their position in which way they went. It does, it does, a part of me respects them for both trying to lose, and I'm definitely going to go and watch this match later on, because it, it, it sounds incredible. This is all to do with the change in the system and how people get through, isn't it? So it's not yeah, a knockout right. system anymore. It's, how does it work? Well, it's groups now. In, right. the, in the doubles, groups of four and two go through. So if you had one one pair go through, we wouldn't have this because everyone would be trying to win. But because two go through, and then you choose your route to the final. And, of course, when the, the Chinese-Korea match was going on, um, and the Chinese were more stubborn than the Koreans, so the Korean ended up winning, even though they didn't want to. God. And this had a knock-on factor to the match later on because <laughs> the Indonesian pair and Korean pair that went on, they didn't want to play the Chinese. They were trying to lose. So we had a two matches, exactly the same, of two, of uh, four world-class women's doubles players all trying to get pairs, all trying to lose. And it was just embarrassing. It was just the crowds booing, cheering, and the toilet referee just didn't know, didn't know what well, to like do. We were saying earlier on, it's, it's unprecedented. I'm, I'm, I'm chuckling slightly, but I, I'm guessing it, it goes against the Olympic spirit. And also, if you've paid 75 quid or whatever it is to yeah. go and see world-class badminton and you just watch people deliberately playing badly, that, that's, that's going to be pretty bad for the, for the crowd. No wonder they were booing it. Well, yeah, and it was just it was embarrassing, you know. That this is, as you just said, it's very un-Olympic spirit. And this this is what the Badminton Federation has got to decide. This is not just any other tournament. This is London 2012, and this, if we want our sport to stay in the Olympic program, we're going to have to mm. do about this. And it's 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 so that in any sporting environment, there are some suspect results or something like that. But this was so blatantly obvious. And I do not blame the players because I think some of them may have been instructed mm. by the coaches or managers to do this as well. Um, so who knows? I just... It's just what happens now. It's how... Well, okay. It's what really, you, really important. What do you think should happen? Should they be booted out? Should they say, yeah. you've, 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 you've sort of... Cheating with a small C, you're out. Yeah. If I was a tournament referee, I would have, um, last night, qualified also. Wow. Straight away. I would have done that because... Yeah. Olympic Games. It's yeah. not like I said, any other tournament. Any other tournament, 
You know, whatever. But then, Gail, on the the converse, they've not actually broken a rule, have they? They've just played unsportingly. Yeah, they haven't broken a rule. So this is going to be their argument. They haven't broken the rules. Both pairs were going through anyway. They've qualified for the knockout stages. It was just just to determine which place they were going to be in the draw. But, you know, I I, I don't know how they can assume Mm. that this is, you know... For me, you can't do that in the Olympic Games. You know, this is, like I say, any other tournament. They kind of let them get away with it because, you know, okay, fair enough, we'll learn from it and never, ever have a group stage tournament ever again. But, you know, what you do, I... There were a lot of people very, very angry. Mm. There was some of the volunteers who were really upset as well. You know, I saw one of them crying. It affected her so much. She was crying. She just couldn't believe she was watching this. Wow. For her, the whole... Thing of sport has just been completely tarnished. You've seen players do this. Gail, listen, we'll let you go because we're losing the line a little bit, but thank you so much. And, and we may come back to you when a decision is finally made on that. Thank you very much. That's Gail Ems there, uh, Olympic silver medalist and badminton ambassador from Milton Keynes. It's exciting. For someone who um, a week ago was not into sport, I'm loving it to speak to all these Olympic champions. How cool is that? She's won an Olympic silver medal. What have you done with your life? I asked that question mainly to me. Very, very little in comparison, uh, it, it would appear. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. What did you make of that? Did you see it? I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch it this afternoon. I'm going to dig it out and have a little look. And uh, it, it, it sounds incredible. I mean, Gail was obviously uh, frustrated and upset by it. She was saying one of the volunteers was in tears. Oh, there we go. Uh, what did you make of it? Did you see it? Was it unsporting? If you were in the crowd last night, I would love to talk to you. Booing at the Olympics. I've got to... Th- that's got to be the first time that's ever happened. I can't imagine there's ever been booing at the Olympics ever before. Has there? 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. Do give me a call. You can also call me uh, on that and let me know who is the messiest in your house. We're trying to find out. Uh, it's uh, 12 minutes past eight, and let's have a quick look at some of the front pages of the newspapers for those who missed it. I haven't got the Express in this morning, so we don't know if it's a mortgage, an immigration, or a pension story today. I died. It'll be one of those three, but, but, but I can't be any more specific than that. I do apologise. Uh, the Independent. Uh, ministers plot end to civil service neutrality. The infant is the only one that's kind of gone small on the Olympics on the front. There's a picture of Phelps winning his 19th uh, medal, Olympic medal, making him the greatest Olympian of all time. And it looks like they used a tiny cameraman to take that picture. Don't know why you wouldn't do it at, at, at head level. The Daily Ter- Telegraph. Keep calm and carry on. Oh, if I see that on another mug... We are only one medal short of what we should have at this stage, British official insists, as fans await first gold. Uh, And then there's a picture of uh, one of the equestrian teams, um, Zara Phillips there, being awarded a silver medal by her mum. That's weird, isn't it? I might go and see my mum this week and get her to give me a silver medal. Because you can do that when it's your mum. Although my mum, I have to admit, uh, is not part of royalty and is indeed absolutely bonkers. Uh, the Times. Uh, as th- there's loads of fantastic photographs coming out of these Olympics, whether you like sport or not. And there's uh, a young Chinese lad. Uh, it looks like he's about to n- nose, nudge the uh, table tennis ball with his nose. It's kind of a fake cover. You open it up, there's, a, there's another cover. Uh, and it's the greatest Olympian. American swimmer Michael Phelps wins two medals to take his games tally to a record 19. That's incredible, isn't it? You, you, you would just go out one night wearing them all, but have them under your jacket, and then, you know, if you're chatting up girls or something, you say, oh, yeah, by the way, <sighs> unzip the jacket. Look at these. Have a look at these bad boys. 
Uh, the Guardian, it's another picture of Phelps, the greatest Olympian. Uh, Michael Phelps takes gold and silver to become the most decorated medalist in the history of the Games. Uh, and the Daily Mirror and the, and the Sun are outdoing them, themselves for the most ridiculous cover uh, this morning. They're both cheering on Bradley Wiggins. And the Daily Mirror has Here We Go and it has a cutout of the the, the the circumference of Bradley Wiggins' head. Basically, it's a wig, and you're supposed to wear this as he rides past. Uh, and uh, the sun has cut out gold sideburns to celebrate Bradley Wiggins, of course, the first mod to win the Tour de France since Ronnie Lane in 1967. Uh, and the Daily Mail, the moment Zara's gold dream ended. Uh, and that's her horse knocking over a, a, a bar. Uh, and also discussion, can it really be right to arrest, arrest someone for a Twitter insult? Again, JVS, first hour yesterday's show. Seriously, absolutely cracking. I was, I was enthralled in my car yesterday. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Wednesday, the 1st of August. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. As we've been hearing, four women's doubles pairs in the Olympic badminton competition have been charged with misconduct by the sport's governing body for not trying hard enough to win. Spectators jeered as players deliberately served into the net and hit the shuttlecock out of the court, apparently in a bid to secure an easier draw in the next round. Plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. The owners were due to submit a planning application in June, but are updating their plans following a public exhibition. In sport, Wickham lost 3-0 to QPR at Adams Park in last night's pre-season friendly. I'll have a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes. Weather coming up with Phil Garner. Uh, and next we'll be hearing uh, that we... Heard, well, earlier we heard claims that trees in Hatfield are putting off market customers. We will find out more in a few moments. Jonathan Vernon-Smith there giving his thumbs up to the internet and the good work that it does. I, I loved your show yesterday. Did Just you? The first Thanks. hour I thought, was, I thought was fantastic. That call at the end, and I won't go into too much detail because I think people should go and listen to it. The call, if you've got five minutes, listen to the last call of the first hour of yesterday's show. It was incredible. The thing is, I've encountered what he's taught. I play Xbox. Uh, online and I've encountered what he's talking about and the fact that he was going yeah I do it. it's a bit of banter very unpleasant I thought very unpleasant. bizarre very bizarre and I can hear the say, shock in your voice as well well I just I'm just thinking why would anybody want to be so horrible to to anybody else whether yeah. they're on the internet or yeah. or anywhere else what, what games are you playing on the Xbox at the moment Jonathan I've never ever played on an xbox come round we'll have an xbox party i'll I come no no uh, yes i will come to you at one of your <laughs> dinner parties will you at, only if you come and have a session on xbox we'll play some fifa some call of duty okay <laughs> i don't mind I, i'm up for new experiences we'll do it what's on your show this morning coming up on the big phone you're worried now aren't you i'm worried <laughs> Coming up on the big phone in this morning at nine, have antidepressants helped you or someone you know? There's been a large increase in the number of prescriptions for antidepressants in England. Listen to this. I was quite shocked when I heard this. Mm. New figures out today show almost 46.7 million prescriptions for antidepressants were handed out in 2011. That's an increase of more than 9% on the previous year's set of figures. That's quite quite a massive increase, isn't it? This means that antidepressant prescriptions accounted for the largest annual rise in items dispensed in England last year. Well, on the big phone-in today, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Have antidepressants helped you or someone you know? Mm. If you have a view, 08459 455 555. Perhaps you are of the opinion that antidepressants can literally save somebody's life. Perhaps they've saved your life or someone in your family's life because depression was absolutely eating you up. 
Or perhaps you have seen quite the reverse. Perhaps you think antidepressants are handed out like smarties when really they're not necessary. Yep. I'd love your views on the big phone-in at nine. I'm on them. I take them. I'm quite happy to admit that, that I'm on antidepressants. And I do, I think, I do worry, because it was, it was in one of the papers today, people calling them happy pills. And I worry that it will put people off going and, you know, there's, there's kind of a stigma in some of the papers about them, that it will put people off going to see them, because they can be life-saving things. You know, if you're struggling and you are depressed... There's not, I don't see any problem with going and have a little chemical kickstart to that. How long have you taken them for? Uh, on and off for about ten years, I would say, on and off. Really? Yeah. But you stopped taking them after a while? I stopped taking them once because I went on holiday and I forgot them. And I had terrible withdrawals. Uh, and I stopped for a while and then things kind of just went down a little bit. And my doctor said, well, let's go back on. I don't take a particularly high dose or anything, but it's a, it's a little kickstart. But that- is there not, forgive me, uh, yes. but now you've, now you've revealed this, yes, I yes, really yes. must probe Please you. probe. Um, I'd, I'd just like to know whether... There is an argument to say once you start taking antidepressants, you kind yeah. of mask, you're, you're masking the feelings rather than dealing with the feelings. And there may be something that you could do with your life yes. that would stop you being depressed naturally. It's an interesting way of putting it. I think what it does is, for me, is it stops me going right down. It gives, gives me, kind of keeps me a little bit even, but I, I am still aware of the issues that are perhaps... I think sometimes depression is purely a chemical thing, and so a chemical d- d- thing to help that is fine. But it, it, it gives me a, an even base that makes me aware of the things that I then need to deal with, and it gives me... Uh, it, the energy is the wrong word, but it's all I can think of. It gives me the impetus to then perhaps deal with those things. Fascinating. Thanks so much for, uh, for being open. And I hope other people will be open after I'm nine sure this will. morning. Have antidepressants helped you or someone you know? I shall see you at my house for some Xbox, sir. I- I'll That'll be there. cheer you up. <laughs> <laughs> he looks terrified. <laughs> he looks absolutely terrified. Well, imagine a bit of... Uh, imagine you're online and suddenly you hear Jonathan Vernon Smith's cackle as he gets shot during a game of Call of Duty. It could happen. Dreams can come true. You can hear me shuffling papers around in the background as I get the next story up. Uh, earlier on, we heard how trees in Hatfield's Market Centre putting off customers and new traders from coming there. The town was chosen, along with 15 others, to receive £100,000 from the government as part of the Mary Porter's pilot last week. But seven days on, and market traders say the stuff falling from trees is causing people to cough. Despite numerous requests, they say nothing has been done to rectify the problem. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to work underneath them because you've got fine uh, feathers like asbestos. And when the wind blows... They just go through the market and, and people are coughing and spluttering and uh, it keeps people away from the town, to be honest with you. Well, Councillor Mandy Perkins joins us on the uh, phone now to shed some light on this. Good morning, Mandy. Morning. Firstly, I- I'm confused by this. What's, what trees are these? They're London plane trees. Um, London plane trees are actually uh, the, among the most numerous large street and park trees planted in an urban environment because they're very tolerant to harsh conditions. And what, is, what stuff is falling off them? Well, um, they ha- the young leaves, um, and the leaves in general, do have um, uh, something it, it, it's difficult to explain, obviously, but they do have minute hairs on them, which are an irritant if breathed in and can exacerbate breathing difficulties with people if they've got things like asthma. You've got hairy trees? Hairy leaves. Oh, my goodness. And, and so that's what's making people cough. The, the leaves, of the, the, the hair on the leaves is, is... Can be an irritant, yes. To most people, they're not. 
Well, we've, we've heard from some market traders earlier on this morning who are upset by it, saying it's, it's driving business and other traders away. Have, have you had complaints about this, Mandy? Well, we haven't. Um, and, and this is what's quite sad about this story, actually, because we haven't had anything at all at the council. I suspect that the traders have actually been complaining to the market operator. Uh, that's what they said, I think, yeah. yeah. And those complaints haven't been passed on to us as a council. So what would you suggest that the, the, the traders do, Mandy? Well, I think they should... I mean, I think they need to speak to us as a council. We need, we need to do some investigations. We need to see whether or not this is above the norm, right. the, the acceptable norm. And if it is, the trees could go? I don't know. I, I, I suppose there, there is an argument for that. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, quite, they're, they're very well-established trees. They've been there many, many years, mm. and this is the first time we've had um, any comments about them. Uh, the, uh, you're right. I mean, the, they, the town ha- has been fortunately awarded um, money from the Porter Speed, for which we're obviously very grateful. And we want to do everything that we can to encourage business into the town centre. Well, councillor, stay there because uh, our reporter Justin Dealey is live at Hatfield Town Centre now. Justin, you're just hearing what the councillor was saying. Absolutely, yes. I'm live in uh, the Market Square this morning. I've been talking to uh, more traders this morning. I think it's important for Mandy to hear this as well. I have been talking to Andrew Lester a few moments ago. Now, he suffers with what he describes as the Hatfield hay fever. Listen to this. That's correct. Um, I never suffer from hay fever anywhere else, anywhere in the country, or the world comes to that, only when I come to Hatfield. I've been trading on the market now 12 years. Every Wednesday and Saturday, bring my antihistamines with me to take, purely because I'm suffering hay fever here. It's quite incredible. So the simple answer, as far as you're concerned, would be to trim the trees. That would hopefully solve everything. A drastic trim of the trees is needed. It's the pollen in the summer here. You can see it, the naked eye, very, very clearly. It just gets everybody's throats, the coughing and spluttering. Horrendous. And just to get this absolutely clear, so, so you're saying you've been right the way across the world, really. You've never suffered with hay fever, apart from here, twice a week, on a Wednesday and a Saturday, when you're here on this market stall. Completely 100%. Only in Hatfield. Wednesdays and Saturdays, comes spring, all the way through to the autumn. Absolutely fascinating. The words there of Andrew Lester. And uh, just going to put a question to Alan Brown. Alan Brown is joining me live in our radio car. Alan is the manager of the market here in Hatfield. Alan, you've heard the conversation with Mandy. What's your reaction to what you've heard this morning? Um, yes, we have been on to uh, Councillor Dean Archer and also Lynn Spraggs. Um, also, both the current and past market managers know of the problem in the market as they've been around sit on several occasions with me and I'll show them the leaf problem. So th- this is quite simple. You're, you're not saying remove the trees. You don't want that. What you're saying is just cut the trees back and that's the end of the conversation. We can all move on. I think so, yeah. That would s- certainly help. Um, it's been uh, got worse this year because of the adverse weather conditions. We've never experienced what we're experiencing in previous years, but now the market is looking very gloomy and very dark and the trees seriously need to be cut back. Justin, can I interrupt ever so slightly? Councillor, uh, we've got Councillor Mandy Perkins. You heard the, uh, Justin's guest there, uh, who says that the council have been approached. Well, um, Dean Archer actually is a Hatfield Town Councillor, not a borough councillor. Right. Um, I think he must be talking about Lynn Sparks. Now, I haven't heard anything. Lynn hasn't spoken to me about it, um, and I believe she's on holiday, but I will, uh, that I can certainly take up. The only thing I will say, which is an interesting thing, is that they did have their canopies lifted in June this year. Um, and so actually the canopies were lifted and are um, 
from the ground they're now four meters high the 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 sort of the under the, the you know the bottom mm. leaves um I, I suspect that it's quite true that there is an issue because of the bad weather i went up to i went up to hatfield last night and it did seem quite dark up there um and so maybe this is something that we need to look at again uh, uh justin very quickly just stay there we've got a caller we've got graham and luton good morning graham Good morning, Ian. You're aware of these trees? <clears throat> yeah, I used to plant them. Oh, it's your fault then. <laughs> we can uh, all come around uh, and blame you. Listen, I can't understand how that chap in Atfield gets hay fever only in Atfield because the London plain is used in most cities across the country because it's um, self... What, it, what it's supposed to do, it, the bark peels off itself right. and it cleans the air. Right. If you walk around London... There is millions of them. You see them everywhere. Absolutely millions of them everywhere. Okay, so you're you're surprised that anyone could be could be struggling just in Hatfield to to, to breathe. Ha- ju- okay. Just in Hatfield because they are literally all over this. Okay, Graham, listen, we've got to leave it there because we're running out of time. Thank you very much, Graham and Luton. Uh, thank you to uh, Justin, who was at Hatfield Town Centre. And, of course, thank you to Councillor Mandy Perkins. Uh, Councillor, no doubt we will, we will uh, chase this up when uh, the other person you're mentioning gets back from holiday and we'll see what happens there. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We, we've had such a packed show, we've had very little time for uh, your texts and your phone calls, and I do apologise for that, but we have got a phone call now from John in Hemel, who's called in about the uh, Hearts County showground being used as a park-and-ride system. John, have, have you used this? Uh, no, I, I went into the Transport for London website to uh, plan my journey from Dunstable to the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. It came up with three options. Two were bus to Luton, yeah. and the other one was bus to St Albans. Right. So the bus to St Albans went past Redbourne Showground. It didn't oh. pick up the showground at all. Oh. Well, that the, the reason we're talking about this is because it was it was supposed to be packed, uh, and Justin Dealey was there earlier on, and it's it's been empty for the last few days. And so you're well, saying that the bus doesn't doesn't stop there? Well, it, well, it doesn't sur- it surprise me if they're not... Uh, they're not telling you it's available. John, where what are you? Journey. What are you going to go and see at the Olympics? The athletics. Oh, really? Saturday morning, yeah. You got the good tickets. Not to well, say. Well, I was like, my, my son got them actually. Fantastic. Do you know any idea who's who's um, appearing on Saturday morning? Who you, no, who you might see? No, I haven't a clue. Oh well, have, listen, John. Thank you for the call. Just have a fan, have a fantastic time, won't you? Yeah, and then you're doing very well, by the way. John, you're very kind. Thank you. I'm 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 getting by. I think I'm only here for the rest of this week. Uh, I say the good tickets. They're all good tickets. And I was watching the Olympics yesterday, and uh, I, I said to my wife, I said, I really should have. I really should have tried harder to get some tickets. I say try hard. <laughs> I didn't try at all. I didn't try in the t- at all because I thought the Olympics would be really boring and I would hate every second of it. And I was watching it yesterday and was very, very jealous of the people that were there. This morning we have been uh, discussing anorexia. People are suffering with anorexia at a younger age than ever before in the UK. That's according to one of the country's leading experts in the field, Brian Lask. Earlier this year, Lask's team also published research showing a genetic predisposition to the disease. 
Our reporter, Brendan Murphy, went to Milton Keynes to speak to Sophie Denman, a committee member of the eating disorders support group Balanced MK. Sophie told Brendan about her own experience of suffering from anorexia. The serious episode of um, anorexia started at about the age of 17, but um, I did have um, issues with body image and self-esteem from a much younger age, um, following on from um, being a gymnast, basically. Probably at the age of 10, I'd moved to a different um, gymnastics club. Um, It was a very competitive environment. Um, I was made to write down um, my food diary for the week, which would then be analysed by the coaches um, and criticised or um, that kind of thing. That made me very aware and conscious. We were also weighed and measured and um, praised for losing weight or um, becoming slimmer. And I think it was from then um, that I started to feel the need to lose weight and had episodes of, I'd say episodes of starvation, but not not to the kind of um, long-term extreme that comes with anorexia. It was more of um, trying to lose weight um, and then overcoming those episodes, but obviously came back to me at a later date. So from the age of 10, then you felt pressure in terms of um, how much you weighed and, and having to, uh, I, I guess it was that criticism fr- from the gymnastics coaches uh, and stuff which had a big impact on you in, in later life, is that right? Um, it is. I think um, I, I felt um, singled out as well a lot um, in terms of um, my weight. Um, my figure is different to a lot of people. I'm very petite. And um, my coach um, one time had us all standing there, a team. We were going to compete in Russia. And um, she explained that she wanted everyone to lose half a stone, but me to lose a stone. And that was about the age of 11. And so um, it kind of uh, <laughs> was quite triggering um, in terms of, um, you know, what was going to happen in later events. You recognised that you had anorexia when you were 17, is that right? Yeah, I think that's when my weight dropped to um, significantly low level and when I was no longer able to um, function properly or socialise or um, <laughs> do work to the level that I wanted to at school and that kind of thing, um, that's when uh, doctors got involved. Um, my parents were very concerned and teachers were also concerned, so I think that's when it became a serious issue for me. And so you're, you're kind of recovered from anorexia now. For How long have you been recovered from it, if you like? Um, I think the lines are blurred um, slightly um, between uh, the the different eating disorders and when I became um, what I'd say is maintaining recovery rather than fully recovered. Um, I think at the age of about 2021 was when the eating disorder was no longer in control of me and I was in control of it. But, you know, I have had episodes where I feel like I'm slipping back, but I'm able to pull myself out of them. And how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 23, nearly 24. So, so it's a, f- a few years then that since you've been in control of, of the situation, yeah? Yeah, a few years. A um, lot happier now. Sophie Denman there from Milton Keynes talking about how she maintains recovery from anorexia. Now, this is this next story I think is fantastic. And there, we were talking about it in the office yesterday and people were scratching their heads going, oh, I don't get it. I love stuff like this. I genuinely think this is brilliant. 100 cyclists powering a huge puppet of Lady Godiva. Just let that image sink in for a bit. 
A hundred cyclists powering a huge puppet of Lady Godiva will arrive in Milton Keynes this afternoon. They are cycling from Coventry to London as part of the Cultural Olympiad. The puppet will uh, make its way to Campbell Park in MK where there'll be a proms concert. Hilary Davin-Wetton is the conductor and founder of the Milton Keynes uh, City Orchestra. He'll be playing at the event. Good morning, Hilary. Good morning. This sounds bonkers and fantastic at the same time. Yes, I think it's a sort of pleasingly eccentric idea, actually. Exactly. And this is why this, stuff like this, I think, should be applauded. Now, I understand this is the first time there's been a great British prom event in Milton Keynes. Is that right? Yes, we have had uh, outdoor, you know, big outdoor concerts before, which have been hugely successful. Uh, obviously, it's nicer if the sun's shining. Uh, but this is the first time we've had an all-British programme, and I, I felt since we had this extraordinary British eccentric event happening, we should match it with all-British music, and it's a, it's a marvellous mixture of some of the very famous and pieces everyone knows. You know, we're going to have Rue Britannia and Nimrod and things, with some music people won't be so familiar with, which is still absolutely wonderful. And British music of the last century is absolutely it's our golden period, and we should celebrate that along with a bit of eccentric. Give us a couple of names of the, the, the more obscure pieces you'll be playing. Well, the composers are not obscure, but the, well, one of them is actually there's a wonderful man called Butterworth who was killed on the Somme, who only effectively wrote about four orchestral pieces, and we ha- we're playing one called The Banks of Green Willow, which is absolutely hauntingly beautiful. Nobody listening to this tonight will go away without being touched by it. Fantastic. I love it. Now, a new amphitheatre has recently been built in Campbell Park. Uh, have you played there before? No. Are, are you looking forward to it? Is it do you think it's going to become one of the more exciting venues to play? Well, I think open-air venues are actually very exciting, because apart from anything else, people can, can, can don't have to sit in a fixed seat, they can eat and drink, and that, all this used to happen in 19th century concerts, and when people ate and drank all the way through the concert. I've yeah. got no problem with that at all. It doesn't stop you listening. One of the best things I, is I've been to outdoor classical concerts, and if the weather's nice, you're on a deck chair, you've got, you've got a rug out, got a nice picnic, you've got some good people with you, what, there's no, there isn't a better way to spend an evening. No, there, there absolutely isn't, and and you have a sort of complete experience, and you can you go, go home and feeling you've had a really good time. Hilary, listen, the best of luck. It sounds it sounds wonderful. It sounds ridiculous, and I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. Uh, that's Hilary Davin Wetton, uh, who is the uh, conductor and founder of the Milton Keynes City Orchestra. Um, and you can hear more on this story on Drive Time with Roberto from 3pm. And our reporter Jessica Cooper will keep you updated as Lady Godiva arrives in the new city. I love stuff like that. And there were people yesterday in the office going, well, uh, well, I don't get it. And I don't get it. But that's brilliant because someone has thought, you know, what we need is we need a giant Lady Godiva powered by a hundred cyclists. And someone's gone, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, we can do that. Yeah, we can pull that off. I love it. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Right. Oh, there we go. Where have we gone here? There we go. Hang on a second. Let's see if we can work this in. Thank you. BBC Three Counties Radio. A little bit of the old freezing of the computer, but don't let that put anybody off. It's 8.45, and let's get the news headlines now on BBC Three Counties Radio. Four women's doubles pairs in the Olympic badminton competition have been charged with misconduct by the sport's governing body for not trying hard enough to win. Spectators jeered as players deliberately served into the net and hit the shuttlecock out of the court, apparently in a bid to secure an easier draw in the next round. Plans to knock down the point in Milton Keynes have been delayed. Their owners, uh, the owners were due to submit a planning application uh, in June, but are updating their plans following a public exhibition. In sport, Wickham lost 3-0 at QPR at Adams, uh, 3-0 to QPR at Adams Park in last night's pre-season friendly. Um, the weather for beds, hearts and bucks. 
a brighter day with some sunny spells, but a few showers are also expected. Top temperature is 22 degrees Celsius. Coming up, as part of its 10th anniversary, the Kevin Duggan Golf Academy in Luton will welcome golf's Ryder Cup today. And next, we will speak to the man who set up the academy. And JVS is here from 9 o'clock this morning with the phone in. Today he is asking, have antidepressants helped you or someone you know? There we go. The computer, it would appear, has completely packed up on us this morning, so we should be having no more music or sound effects <laughs> for the rest of the show. I can only apologise. I can only apologise. Now, today is the 10th anniversary of the Kevin Duggan Golf Academy in Luton. It was created in memory of Kevin, who was killed by a drunk driver when he was 19 years old. To commemorate the event, Golf's Ryder Cup will visit the Academy today, along with the chairman of the Ryder Cup committee, Sandy Jones. Kevin's dad, Declan Duggan, set up the academy at Stockwood Park and joins me in the studio now. Good morning, Kevin. Declan. Uh, Declan, sorry, <laughs> I don't apologise. We've got the computer has, has gone wrong, everything has gone wrong. Good morning, Declan. How good are morning, you? Sorry, you've just, been, you've just been ushered in in absolute silence and well done for doing that. Now, this okay. event is being held in the memory of your son, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, can you remind us of the, the accident? The, the well, accident? it wasn't actually, a, we don't call it accidents, it was actually a car crash. Right. And my son was killed by a drunk driver um, <clears throat> coming up to 13 years ago. And I ran a pub in Dunstable and we decided to set something up in Kevin's memory. And after many late night uh, sessions uh, around the bar, we come up with the idea of a golf academy. Mm. And we raised in about five years, we raised over £300,000. Wow. Yeah. Huge amount of money. All done from the back garden of my pub <laughs> in Dunstable. Um, <laughs> And so we, we, we worked with uh, Luton Borough Council, and who were very, very helpful at the time. They gave us a piece of land up at Stockwood Park, and I got uh, we drafted in Ken Brown, who's a BBC golf commentator who lives nearby in Harpenden, and he brought one of his, some of his team along, and they designed a beautiful nine-hole golf course. We built a four-bay uh, driving range bays, and we built a beautiful putting green, and it opened 10 years ago. And it was a great day. Um, and Sandy Jones, who who I've met a few times now, who is the head of golf in Europe, um, he's the chairman of the Ryder Cup committee. He's the chief executive officer of the PGA in in, in Europe, and uh, he's come down to celebrate with us today ten years because they realise and they understand what a great success the golf mm. academy has been. Why golf? Um, it was a game that m- me and Kevin played together. And uh, it was one of the few sports that me and my son actually went out and, the, you know, the quality time that we had together, mm. we, we did it on a golf course. And he started playing, we both started playing at the same age. Um, Kevin was about 12, I was about 30-something. And <laughs> very I can't remember well exactly done, how yeah, old I was, but... Um, uh, we, we, we learnt together, we played at the same standard, we used to go off and play in competitions, I used to get invites to all sorts of society events, and it was once just something that me and Kevin fell in love with. I have a great affinity with golf, and not only that, it's a beautiful, beautiful visual um, you know, it's, 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 it's a visual memorial to my son mm. that everybody can see when they drive past into Luton, and uh, we're very, as a family, we're very proud of it. See, that must be amazing. I've got two boys. I mean, they're, they're, they're toddlers and a baby at the moment. But to, to lose a son uh, in such circumstances, I, I can't even begin to imagine how you would, you would move on, not only move on from <clears> that, but also create something positive out of the mm. tragedy. That must have been so hard for you and your family. Well, it's everything, you know, everything's difficult. People say that uh, time is a great healer, but unfortunately, uh, 
grief and loss never goes away mm. it lives it hangs around with you for, for forever it's how you manage that grief and loss mm. and i channeled it into two projects one was getting the law changed because my son was killed by a drunk driver who wasn't charged for for killing my son by drink driving and the other was to build a memorial lasting memorial to my son uh, and i probably had about five years concentrating on that and people still so friends of mine still say to me declan have you started grieving yet because of all the all the things that i've been involved in yeah. and i'm still involved in road safety campaigns i'm still involved in golf in various different ways uh, but it's something that you you do you, you you learn to live with it you manage it it never goes away mm. but some of the we've done some fantastic things in kevin's memory and that's what keeps us going well well done you know the, the great thing about this event is it's bringing two opposite ends of the golfing world together yes how explain that uh, well well the Ryder cup is probably the biggest golfing tournament on the planet mm. it's where two you know two continents of the of the western world america which has 50 odd states europe has to, to choose from 26 countries i believe and they, they come together head-to-head -head, uh, every two years. Europe are the holders of it at the moment, and it goes off to Chicago in September. So this is the last event, public event of the Ryder Cup before then. And we we started off uh, at our, our humble beginnings in Stockwood Park at Luton, which happens to be an absolutely beautiful park, by the way, in all different for, for all different reasons. And and it's it's we are the beginner starter centre, so we are there for people who just want to pick up the game and start where it, you know, and, and, and progress from there. It's got a beautiful driving range base, it's got putting greens, it's got a nine-hole academy course, it's got an 18-hole course, so you can start there from the age of three or four and work yourself right up to, 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 to the top of the game. And so it is, and and principally, and, and it was set up for underprivileged kids, and we have a deal with Luton Borough Council that underprivileged children can actually uh, take part and play various different... Uh, courses up at stockwood park free of charge so it is one spectrum it's one end of the spectrum to the other which is where you very very start to play golf and the very very end the Ryder cup <laughs> sandy jones is going to bring it. and some of the kids today who well, yeah, what's happening today it's yes, the 10th anniversary today isn't it? what's, there's what's a great happening? competition up there today uh, it's it's actually called stars of the future competition uh, which is run on the on the golf academy course for young people so there is there is a competition today which finishes about one o'clock. Sandy Jones is going to be there to present the trophies for all the kids. He's going to have the Ryder Cup with him and they're going to be able to have a feel of the Ryder Cup and get a feel. He's going to do a little talk about how it, how it runs and how it works and how you hopefully get to that stage in golf. Uh, he's a great orator. He's a great speaker. He does the opening ceremonies at the Ryder Cups for, for Europe and he's just a real decent guy. Uh, to have around and it it gives us us up at stockwood park you know really good um uh, kudos if that's not the right word for it uh, but it gives us real good mm. uh, backing from probably the highest people in in golf and it's coming right directly to stockwood park at luton god i've never played golf it looks it just looks too hard hard you've got to get a tiny ball in a tiny <laughs> hole 400 yards away are you any good at it um i've been playing hard since the age of 32 i think it is i've been playing for um 25 years say and uh it's probably sometimes it's the hardest game in the world but it's not just the, the hitting of the ball it's the walk it's the smelling of the flowers mm. it's the four hours it's the it's the, it's the camaraderie ship it's the talking it's the mixing it's the sharing um i get a great buzz out of playing golf i call it my therapy mm. 
Or, or Kevin, if people want to come along today, they can they can turn. Listen, up Sandy Jones is going to be there for a couple of hours. Um, he, uh, he's going to have the cup with him. The kids are going to be so excited. If anybody wants to come up and have a look and listen to Sandy Jones do a little talk on the Ryder Cup, they're most welcome to do that. Declan, thank you very much. Sorry, I got your name wrong at the start. It's, uh, <laughs> That's Declan okay. Duggan, who, Kevin's dad, the Kevin Duggan Golf Academy in Luton, uh, celebrates its tenth anniversary. You're going to have a fantastic day, I'm sure. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. There we go. It, it just seems like uh, the, the thing is, uh, two weeks ago, as I've said on this show already, I hate sport but this uh, the olympics have totally opened my eyes to, to thinking well actually do you know what maybe the last 39 years i've been living a life i might come out as someone who quite i'm coming out as a sport liker i might do that because i've watched some amazing things the past few days we were talking about the handball and uh yes they were flicking through the channels if you press the red button on the um uh, on the channels you're in terrible trouble because you can see all of the sports that are going on and handball popped up on screen no idea what handball was and my wife allowed me to watch it for a whole 50 seconds thank you so much for that um and we got to uh, it's basically football but you chuck a ball around you do it with your hand how wonderful is that bmx is taking place bmx when I was a kid, it was the hard kids that had BMXs. And now they're, now they're the Olymp- in the Olympics. I should be washing some of that. And so I have become, literally since the weekend, I have become turned on to the world of sport. Something uh, is stirring within me. Maybe it's had the same effect on you. This is what they are always talking about, uh, the, the Olympics, the legacy of the Olympics. I think I'm the uh, Olympics legacy, me, personally becoming into sport we'll talk about this a bit more tomorrow maybe if you have uh, always been um, not into sport i think is perhaps the polite way to put it has your attitude changed as a result of the olympics mine has completely completely we can talk about that a little bit uh, tomorrow and um, lots of other stuff as well i think we've got time quickly just a quick look at the front pages of the newspapers again before um, jonathan vernon smith comes on and does his thing at nine why not? Why not? Did you, did you hear the stretch there? That's how unfit I am. Oh, yes, I will, uh, we'll have a look at some of the texts as well. We'll get some of those texts in uh, before the end of the show. But a quick look at the front pages of the newspapers. The Daily Mail. The moment Zara's gold dream ended as Zara Phillips, looking down in horror as her horse takes an extra step and clips the fence, costing her team crucial points uh, during yesterday's final. They got a silver. Silver's all right, isn't it? The Mirror and the Sun are doing this ridiculous. And I do, it, it is ridiculous. Uh, isn't it? They're, they're doing these uh, things where you can cut out, uh, with the sun, you can have uh, Bradley's gold sideburns to wear and cheer him on. Uh, or the Daily Mirror, you, you can cut out his hair and wear it like a wig. Here we go. You see what they've done there? Help Bradley triumph by wearing his lucky sideburns with pride as Britain goes for a hat-trick of golds today. Is that going to cheer him on, really? If I saw, if I was riding down the street on my bike and I saw loads of people sort of a little bit looking like me, it, it wouldn't help me to ride my bike any faster. It would scare the life out of me, I tell you that. The Guardian uh, has got an amazing picture of uh, Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympian. Michael Phelps takes gold and silver to become the most decorated medalist in the history of the Games, winning uh, 19 medals in total. We, we never managed to get hold of Paul Hardcastle. That was the challenge at the start of the show. We never managed to pull that off. And for that, dear listener, I can only apologise. We're all hanging our heads in shame here. Uh, the front page of the Times 
uh, has uh, a picture. Well, it's, it's got one of those fake front pages, which always upsets me. It's a picture of a young lad about to nose a, um, a table tennis ball. Don't call it ping pong. Uh, but the main front page is Michael Phelps celebrating another victory, uh, and he's got an, a, another gold medal. He's quitting after this Olympics, so other people get to have a go, which I think is fair. 19's the limit. Uh, the Daily Telegraph is keep calm and carry on, and there's Zara Phillips being given a silver medal uh, by her mum. Uh, which is is a, is a bit weird, isn't it? Strikes me as being a little bit strange. And The Independent uh, is the only newspaper that's not gone Olympics crazy with the front pages. There, there is a picture of Michael Phelps holding his, uh, his gold medal, uh, which is amazing. Uh, and ministers plot end to civil service neutrality. It turns out there are other things happening in the world while the Olympics are going on. Who'd have thunk it? Right. That's it for me. I'm off to have a cheese sandwich. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow at six o'clock with your breakfast show, but do stick around because coming up very, very shortly, it's the excellent Jonathan Vernon Smith. Getting beds, hearts, and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.